0: You got a problem here, guy?
1: Darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's gonna keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face.
2: What is this place?
1: A shrine. We've gotta lure him in, we execute him hello
2: let's play a game you know you're like the tenth guy to try this right it never works out for the dipshit in the mask
0: maybe but there's never been one like me gail (laughs) i'm something different
1: that's why i'm gonna shoot you in the head You want me. So let's finish this. Guys?
0: Hello everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom?
3: Greetings and salutations, Slasher fans. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. I actually, for the first time ever, I watched a Scream movie twice in the theaters, so
0: it's been an interesting weekend, that's for damn sure. (laughs) Yeah, when when I saw your post that you were going again, I was like... All right, either uh he wasn't paying attention the first time or that's a positive sign. So
3: <laughs> Yeah, either I really liked it or I fell asleep the first time watching it. You'll find out in a few minutes.
0: <laughs> All right. Also join us as always, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don?
3: Hey,
2: what's going on? Always great to be here.
0: Cool, and we are inviting, or we invited a guest to this episode. Uh, She is returning, she was here a while ago, um, and she's back. It's not the uh, Williams sister you might think that is wanting to talk about a Scream movie, although I'm sure you'll hear her talk about it plenty in the next uh, week or so, but it is her sister, also star of the Slumber Party Massacre podcast. It's Nikki Williams. What's up, Nikki?
1: Hey, thank you all so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I actually just saw the movie this morning. I We had a, a snowstorm last night, and I had to switch out the tickets. I had a I had tickets for the 6.30 showing last night, so I had to call because the roads were just awful. And my sister, she lives like five minutes from the theater. She's like, it took me like 15, 20 minutes to get home. So I was like, okay. Gonna switch out the tickets
0: so I, I saw it this morning and I'm excited. Cool. Um yeah, so uh and before we get into it uh to talk about this movie, just a little bit of housekeeping. We recorded the previous episode of Fresh Cuts like later in the week than usual. It is it is up on YouTube, so anyone subbed on YouTube probably has already seen it. But it'll probably I'm guessing that um, the head of the network just on weekends, he's probably not home to post stuff. So there's a chance that this episode and that episode get posted on the network itself around the same time. Um, But, yeah, I'm going to try to have this one ready ASAP just because it's a it's a huge release. People are already talking about it. People will be talking about it. So we want to get our episode out there, too so with that said yeah just because people might be like oh did you skip a week and save for this no we didn't we just recorded later in the week than usual so and that's a spoonful of sugar episodes so yeah um so all right so scream six let's see uh, a synopsis i mean it is a scream movie so it's not that big of a surprise but in the next installment the survivors of the Ghostface killings leave woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in new york city Alright, short to the point. And like I said, it's a screen movie, so other than that, what else do you need to be told up front? So we will start. Kind of general thoughts, but this kind of be like a hybrid version. I would say, you know, when it comes to a whodunit style slasher, you should probably be on alert for even like quasi or halfway spoilers, even from the start of the show when we try not to just come out and say everything. So I'm just going to put the spoiler warning up at the beginning of this episode just in case... And with that, I'll kick it to Venom for his opening thoughts on Scream 6.
3: All right. Well, let's rewind about 14 months back to Scream 5, which is the only Scream movie that we've ever reviewed on Fresh Cuts. Uh, Those of you who are longtime listeners, remember that on that episode, I talked about how Scream is not my franchise. I am a much older gentleman than most um I was already almost 30 when the original Scream movie came out, so this is not my franchise by any stretch of the imagination. I've always given the movie credit for what it did, the first movie that is. It basically created its own subgenre of horror and, you know, brought a lot of the young people back into the movie theaters to watch horror movies, so I'll always appreciate what it did. Now, as I said, rewind 14 months, and if you remember correctly, I did not give Scream 5 a very favorable review. Um, I am not a big fan of this franchise. Um, I, I feel like the movies are all very formulaic, and that they all kind of do the same versions of the same thing over and over again, specifically with the you know killer reveals and their motivations for why they're doing this. Well, my friends, I am happy to subvert expectations on this one because I fucking had a great time with Scream 6. I don't know what the hell they did in this movie that finally got me on board with this franchise, but I had an absolute blast with it. I did not miss Sydney in any way, shape or form. In fact, I had a better time with this film when legacy characters were not on screen. Anytime Gail or Kirby showed up on screen, it actually like, oh, that's right, I'm watching a Scream movie. Whereas all the times, you know, when they're not on screen, I'm so invested in the story, the characters, the action, that I'm just not thinking about the fact that, oh, right, this is a Scream movie. So kudos to the new cast, the core four, as they're dubbed in this film, I thought all did a great job. Honestly, I think the legacy characters are the downfall of this movie. Like, I, I, I'm going to make a statement that's probably going to piss off a lot of people, but I just don't give a shit. Courtney Cox and um, what's her name? Hayden Penitieri are just not that good of actors to me. I, I don't understand why people acc- claim these two as great actors. Uh, Courtney Cox did fine on Friends, you know, as a comedic actress. She kind of, you know, she pulled off the role well. Um, hey, hey, uh, excuse me Hayden uh, about the only thing I've ever seen her in that I liked was Heroes and I pretty much only watched the first couple of seasons of that show so who cares um, so yeah uh, I, I just felt like some of the line deliveries from our two legacy characters were just awful like they really really threw me out of it um, I gotta say I enjoyed uh, Dermot Mulroney as a um, homicide detective here in New York City who is investigating these murders I thought he did a great job um, I As I said, the new characters, you know, the new roommates and everything else, I thought they did fine in their roles. Um, one thing I really got to say about this movie, this is a brutal ass scream movie. This is probably the most brutal ghost face that we've ever seen. Just it seems like he's really, really enjoying these kills. Even some of the kills from our heroes towards the end of the film look very much like they're they're enjoying what they're doing you know they're not just stabbing someone once and walking away they're stabbing someone 40 fucking times and then watching them die which obviously these are hardcore horror movie fans who know no one is dead until you watch them die and obviously with the the reemergence of Kirby that there's proof right there a character that we all thought was dead and nope she just got stabbed and survived so which brings me to another complaint about I have about this movie. And that is the durability of some of the characters in this movie. There are multiple characters in this movie that either live longer than they really should based on their injuries or flat out survive. There's one character in this movie that is literally stabbed about a dozen times by two different ghost face and still fucking survives. Now, Granted, I will fully admit the guy is an absolute physical specimen. He's a stud. So I will cut a little bit of slack there. But just, I mean, even rappers who get shot eight times and Survive are looking at this guy like, whoa, that's a little excessive. That just doesn't make sense. But again, it's a scream movie. We suspend disbelief. I still have the same problem with the, uh, with the killer reveals in this movie that I've had with every Scream movie. It just seems so formulaic and just dull and stupid, and this movie isn't that different. But because, in my opinion, this movie doesn't rely on its you know killer reveal, I had a fucking blast with this movie. This movie is just a tick over two hours, and it did not feel two hours to me. I... The the movie went by really quick. It, I love the pacing. You don't have to wait long. Probably one of the coolest cold opens of a Scream movie ever. I absolutely love what they did with the cold open here. We'll get into it more later on. But, yeah, I there's a lot about this movie that I really enjoyed. I loved Jenna Ortega. And Melissa Barrera in this one, I thought their performances were great. I love the fact that Tara isn't the star of this movie. Like, it bothered me that Tara had so much screen time in Scream 5, even though, really, it's her sister that's the fucking star. She's the catalyst for all of this. And they got it right in this movie. You know, Tara is a secondary character. She's still a main character, yes, but she's not the star, and I appreciate that. Um, You know, the franchise is finally recognizing who the people that have gone through the most trauma are. So let me just cut off my general thoughts there. I know I got long winded, but I'm just really excited for the fact that I actually saw a Scream movie that I like. This is by far my favorite Scream movie since the original. As I mentioned earlier, I saw it twice this weekend. I've never seen a Scream movie twice in theaters, even the original as good as that one is. And this one, I just felt compelled to go watch it again. Because after the first viewing, I was shocked that I enjoyed it so much. I'm like, wait, did I really fucking enjoy a Scream movie? So that's partially why I went to watch it again today. And I can confirm that, yes, I enjoyed a Scream movie. So, yeah, mark it down. It took six, I guess it took five sequels before they kind of got me back on board. But, yeah, I had a really good time with it. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to Scream 7. Go figure. That's it. I'll cut it off at that.
0: All right. Scream 6 has at least one convert. So, I'll uh throw it over to Don on your general thoughts on Scream 6.
2: Yeah, there's a second one. Um because I absolutely love this one as well. Um ah! I'm even going to go so far as to say this is my favorite in the franchise. Um I had long held out that 2 was my personal favorite, and this is that's that's been surpassed. I I love this one. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of in agreement with a lot of what Venom said here. Um, a lot of the set pieces, the set pieces are just amazing. I, I, the chases in here are fantastic. I, I love that it actually in, in, included one aspect that we actually picked apart in the last one, which was that e- even though that there's you know some issues with durability, which I'll touch on in a minute, like he said, but There's a far more, and I I mean this in a, in the great sense, there's a far more, I I guess you could say, intent behind Ghostface here where he doesn't fuck himself over trying to, you know, get at people. He doesn't trip and fall. He doesn't really, like, you know, clumsily crash into things. He doesn't really, you, you know, like stumble when he's going after somebody if he wants to go after somebody he goes after them and gets them and it's only either through like you know divine intervention or somebody else coming to save the day that is able to you know prevent them from taking somebody out and i i really enjoyed that it it added a lot of you know suspense to this you know stalking scenes uh a few of them are unbelievably brutal and i i was really kind of surprised that it actually went as far as it did and you know it got, it had some like really really graphic se- uh set pieces throughout i i do agree i i really think that just keeping so many legacy characters alive is the undoing of this franchise because you have to keep you have to keep all these people alive to you know carry the franchise on and you've got to start knocking them off or you, you know you gotta do what this one did and you know They gave us one line in Sydney saying, you know, I don't want to be involved. I'm going to take my family somewhere safe, and we never saw or heard from her again. That was fantastic. I loved it. You know, what what we need to do, get her out of the way, get everything, you know, spell it out and get it out of the way and just move on. And I do agree with what he said. I do think that the legacy characters that this one kept around here are the weak points of the film. I didn't think that there was much for kirby to be around she had one sequence where she tried to show off her movie knowledge which was complete bullshit that was a novice sequence that any kind of horror fan would have written and it you know for a film about you know the smart horror characters this was kind of a disappointment and gail does absolutely nothing i mean you know her sequence is fine but you know there that's all she's really there for she's only got one sequence and then that's it and yeah, keeping the you know the new the new you know core four as they say is a step in the right direction. Now, I will say this: if they're going to bring them back for Scream Seven, start knocking them off because I don't want a repeat of this whole thing all over again, where you keep the legacy characters alive, split up a relationship, knock both of them off. I don't care, but you got to do something now, because you've had them survive two films. I don't want them around for very much longer if you're going to keep this thing going, because then it's going to start running into the same problems that the original run of the franchise had, where you keep the recurring characters alive far longer than they should have. But... Yeah, um I mean other than that I'll, I I don't disagree with almost every with you know everything he said was right on with where I am. I mean, you know, the story is fantastic, it's brisk, it's fun. The, you know, killers are stupid and uninteresting and they have, you know, BS motivations that just are completely nonsensical and yeah, um, I, I I don't have much else to add. Um, yeah, that was kind of uh, right in line with where I was thinking. So yeah, I'm uh, right on there, and yeah, it's uh, my favorite in the franchise now. So
3: uh, I'm right up there with them. <laughs> Honestly, it might be mine, but I'd have to go back and rewatch them. I haven't <laughs> watched the original in, a, in about a year and a half, but I'm I'm right there in line with you. This might be my favorite Scream movie. Crazy.
0: All right. Um, normally I would go to the guest next and save mine for last, but I'm going to pull an audible only for the fact that um, largely what I have to say for general thoughts kind of matches what's already been said. So I don't want to like build up my thoughts. Like it's going to be some different. Opinion. I
2: like anybody <laughs> listens to the show for you anyway.
0: <laughs> I have to listen to myself when I play it back. So, um, but yeah, I, I may agree. Like I had a lot of fun with this one. And to me, it's going to sound strange because it's a scream movie, but to me, the main things that held it back, or what the criticisms are, are when the movie felt like it had to remind us that it was a scream movie, mm-hmm. right? Because obviously, we're going to get the Ghostface killer that we we know, or killers, we know that going in, so we're already kind of like set up for that. But I, I felt like it was like one of our criticisms with Scream Five. Was it felt totally unnecessary and forced that the legacy characters were even brought back in? I, I believe at the time I said at least Dewey, there was a little bit of a justification because he was like formerly law enforcement, so it makes sense you would reach out to him. But it seems so ridiculous that uh Sydney even decided to put herself in danger for it. This one, I think it's actually, it, it didn't really hurt and i know that might be like a personal preference for every viewer depending on how how much you think that her character is important to like every screen movie just because uh so that could be like a, a difference in just personal preference but for me uh i was fine with her not being in this uh gail really has no reason to be in this one either though i mean yeah. like why is she there what uh, Obviously, I guess if you're just a fan of the legacy characters always popping up, then you might smile just because she's, you know, there being Gale. But really, she seemed pretty inconsequential to the movie. Yes, uh, they write in her to be useful in some aspects, but it it really wasn't necessary. Also, uh, Hayden Piernette or however you say her (laughs) last name, as the FBI agent that – doesn't really seem to be that good of an FBI agent, to to be yeah. honest, because because there's some reveals we get later with the killer that I'm like, well, there's how something the i not I'll, know this, like this
2: there's thing. something I'll bring up and we'll talk about that when we get there. But I, I do have an idea that you could have actually written Gale out of this completely. It just had the had Kirby there to do something, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But I, I have a theory for how to fix that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I thought the change of location itself was. Justification enough for the legacy character. Like to me, it made sense why Sydney might not be in it, and I'm like, well, then really, Gail didn't have to be either. Because uh, to me, the strongest points of this movie is when they decided, okay, we're out of Woodsboro, we're in a different location, we're gonna try to just make it its own kind of script. It, it's almost like it, it it was halfway that oddball entry in a series where they just kind of want to do their own thing and like we're gonna do things a little different anytime that was happening that's what i thought the strength of the movie is what held it back to me was when they con you know you got the constant okay well we have to do this because it's a screen movie like when we got our uh our like a meta narrative in this i thought it was one of the weaker meta narratives in the entire franchise because one it, it felt just like a retread of what they talked about when they said sequels except they changed the word sequels to franchise but everything they said about a franchise i'm like okay it's just a Pretty much line for line about sequel or, oh, bigger kills. Everyone's not safe mm-hmm. now. Like we heard all this already. Also, OK, the reveal. I'm not I'm OK with the reveal of like the main kind of mastermind character. But the two additional who would they turn out to be, I felt like they were NPC characters to begin with. People that were yep. barely there, like I, I I don't know. It just was disappointing. Like, yes, you can take any character that's only in the movie for a couple scenes and say, oh, look, they're actually these people. It's like, well, great. I mean, we saw them for a total of, what, five minutes on screen for the whole movie. And then, oh, but they're actually these important characters to the story. I I thought it was kind of weak sauce. Um, and then, you know, but overall, I, I, I just had fun with it. I thought uh, it was fun. The opening kill uh, was really fun, and I liked how they did something a little bit different. Like, they managed to figure out a different way to execute that, and then we kind of almost get, like, an extended scene there, because of what happens after the opening kill, I thought was pretty cool and new and creative. Um, and, you know, some of the kills were brutal. I liked the, the sequence with the ladder between the apartment buildings. That was <laughs> pretty cool. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I... I I think uh, someone already made the point where the heroes, at the end, like even some of the kills they did to the killers, was pretty good. Um, there was something from Scream Five that returned that I was really hoping wouldn't because God, like the fact that they doubled down on that element, just was like, why we we didn't like we didn't need that in another Scream movie. If if that doesn't tip people off, we'll get into it when we really get into the spoilers and stuff. But um, yeah, and overall, like I, I, I think they, they kind of made an attempt in this one. It feels like to say we're creating like that the new core of legacy characters, where they're going to be the ones that are just going to automatically survive every movie now. And I kind of think that's a mistake. Like I, I'm fine with like one or two of them surviving. That's you expect that, but it feels like they're all they made an effort to say, okay, these people. Will not be dying in in scream movies going forward as long as like they're like the legacy, and uh, I don't want to say the phrase because if I say the phrase and anyone has seen is it, gonna be oh that's who they're talking about, but generally yeah, I think I did like this more than five, I, I think comparing five and six for for scream fans I think five might have been like the better like scream blueprint movie but I think this was a more fun movie that just. If they would have totally abandoned some of the things they felt they needed to put in a Scream movie, it would have been even better. But as it stands now, I had fun with it. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that for my general thoughts. So now to our guest, Nikki. Maybe she's going to tell us we're all wrong. Um, <laughs> oh, cool, I uh, hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nikki. Yeah, that's why I I uh, I was I pulled the audible because like, I'm just going to repeat a lot of what was already said. So let's see, Nikki, your general thoughts on Scream 6.
1: Yeah, so I to Venom am not a big scream franchise person and that's always been kind of difficult because this is my sister's jam of a franchise. So always talking about it with her, she she just she has like all this fast knowledge and um has seen the movies many, many times. I have seen the first and the second one many, many times and I love both of those, but even when I watched the first one, I wasn't blown away by it. Not not in the way that she was. I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but there's just something about this franchise that I've never really fully been able to connect with. And it's like every time they come out with a new movie, I'm like, okay, this is the one that's going to like completely blow my mind. And that still has yet to happen. I think this film has some very strong moments and I'll talk about what I love about it first what I love about it is that this is Ghostface in Manhattan he's just killing people in public so like when I saw this in the trailer I thought whoa is this going to be a killer who is tired of all the copycats someone who wants authenticity and is not afraid to, like, put themselves out there. Like, I thought, like, it was kind of like the whole, you know, the mask is coming off and this is the real ghost face. And I thought, well, that's a really badass concept, you know? And I really think the trailer looked much cooler than the film itself. But all of the scenes with the killer in this, I thought were really solid, and i love the grocery store scene i love the ladder scene and there was something about that that was actually very emotional like i felt that scene on a very deep level like when they're they're crawling across it to get to the other side it was intense but also at the same time when you see what happens it's it was like kind of gut wrenching to me personally like i felt like it was like a a punch um I felt that scene and there is some really cool messaging in this as well. For example, there there's a scene in particular where the main character, Samantha, she gets this drink thrown on her by another girl that says that she was responsible for the killings in the fifth movie. And Later in the film they show that news clip but they completely cut out the part where she got the the pop thrown on her and it made her set up to look like she was the villain. I'm just like, wow. I wonder how many times that has actually happened in real life where, you know, someone is made to be villainized when they're actually not even a villain. And 99%. I ninety nine percent. Right. It was just I found that so interesting and I thought that was cool that they touched on that in the film because I hadn't seen that before. And it really. um, That was one of the things that I loved about it, where it fell apart for me is when the killers do get revealed because they I feel like they set up this film to, you know, like, oh, the ghost face, he he goes in these public places and he he'll kill like four people in one sitting, not like where he's hiding in the rest of the films. And that storyline didn't line up with the killers. Like their motives were completely different. It just did not really fit for me as to why they were doing the killing with the way that they set up this really cool ghost face throughout the rest of the film. Um, but overall, I, this was the first time I watched it. I, I typically do give, um, films multiple chances. So this is, this is all of my thoughts just coming from 10 o'clock this morning when I watched it for the first time. So it's like super fresh in my mind right now, but, um, I would like to rewatch it and see what additional thoughts come through. But yeah, I thought it was very brutal the kills were a lot of fun to watch. Um, it was just that the cohesiveness of it didn't all flow for me, but that doesn't mean that I won't attempt to give it another watch later and maybe see something that I didn't before. Um, but yeah, those that's just my, my overall thoughts of it. It wasn't something I loved and, it's just a franchise that I've never really loved to begin with though.
0: Cool. Did you do you think you liked it less or more than five?
1: You know, I liked I think I liked five more because I feel like see, I am totally a legacy person. <laughs> the legacy characters in five, I think, were treated much more honorably and with more respect in the fifth one. And this one, I don't know, like with Gail, it just seemed like, I mean, obviously she's, you know, this bitch character who nobody really likes, and she's, she's written all these books, and she's profited off of the fortune of, you know, other people's misery, which they touch on in the film as well. But, like, I don't know, the, the whole scene with her, um, that didn't really makes sense to me um she's she has a boyfriend and he like there's hardly like any screen time with him they like there was no like really interaction like he's not really in it very long um i think it was because they were putting the focus on her and like this was her scene but i don't know something just fell off um but yeah, I, I definitely think I liked part five better just because I, I feel it, it felt more honorable, more respectful.
0: <laughs> I, I always I always get confused whether they're trying to portray Gale as likable or not, because I feel like every time we get a new screen sequel, you, you find out like off, you know, off, uh sc- not off script, but like. In, in in the make-believe world of between the movies, she did something again to, like, piss everybody off. But by the end of, like, the current movie, you're supposed to, like, be rooting for her because of her good actions to make up for it. But then when the next movie starts, oh, yeah, I went and did that thing that everyone hates again. It's like, it's, at some point, in the, it it kind of felt like they started to do it in this movie where they're like, Gail, just get the hell out of here. No one wants you around. Like, stop yes. stop showing up everywhere.
1: Like, it felt like they, they set it up to, you know, for her to be hated. So then, like, when her scene finally came, it's like, yeah, we don't really care. <laughs> like, what happens to you? Like, that's what it felt like.
0: Yeah, um, I, I was ready to see something happen that didn't happen. And then we all just put it. Like <laughs> I actually
3: I actually cheered on the watching it the first time during that scene when we thought something was going to happen. I cheered. I, I, I got some nasty looks in the theater, but I don't care. I, see, I am the complete opposite of Nikki. I come from a world where franchise characters, you know, don't really exist. I mean, Friday the 13th is my favorite franchise. The closest thing we have to a legacy character is Tommy Jarvis. And, you know, you know, he was only in the three films and a fan film after that. But still, um, I'm very I, I I think it's great when a legacy character can get killed off. I mean, that's part of the strength I felt. For stuff like Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead, when those shows first started out, is that nobody was safe that didn't matter. I mean, Game of Thrones kills its biggest star in season one. How huge was that at the time? So I am very on board for it, like i said i you know i I felt that these this particular scream trilogy that we 're in the middle of now would have done what the new Star Wars trilogy did and just offed all of the fucking legacy characters because ultimately we don't need them anymore. The story has evolved beyond them. I mean, how shitty must Courtney Cox feel that the only reason Gail Weathers... Or one of the only reason Gail Weathers still appears in these movies is to get punched in the face. I, that, that's just <laughs> silly. Like, that's the only... Those are the only scenes I enjoy Gail Weathers in is when she's getting punched in the face because she fucking deserves it. So, I mean... I, I understand the confusion between, you know, is she if, are they trying to make her likable? Or are they trying to make her not likable? But ultimately, for somebody like me, I just want to see her just get off. You know, I, I want to see yeah. the franchise move beyond the legacy characters. That's the thing is that sometimes legacy characters can be an anchor. They can they can hold the franchise back and they're not letting the franchise kind of grow, sprout its own wings and become its own thing. I mean, that's probably why this is one of my favorite Scream movies is no Sydney, No Sydney, no Dewey. Fucking awesome.
0: Especially at this stage in the the franchise because at least I would say like what, one through three, maybe even four, there was a little more justification because we were still dealing with characters that kind of grew with Gail Weathers. Because, you know, going all the way back to the first, Gail was like earlier in her career. And I think the Woodsboro – murders i think were like her big break to begin with but now it's like these characters have l- much less attachment to gail weathers to begin with so it's like gail showing up to so like just magically help it's like man th- these are basically kids now and you're like what well into middle age like they don't want you you're not their friends you're not their peers they just <laughs> they don't even want you around helping Mm -hmm. um but my my last question for general thoughts this this is a question i could i could wait to the end of the episode but i I just want to ask it now last i checked we're looking at like a record box office opening for the franchise Mm um what what do you think that means going forward for like any negotiations bringing sydney or aka nev Campbell back because i i would say before they saw all the money this made on opening weekend, they might have like been thinking, Okay, how do we get her back in the future? But now do you think there's less importance, like, from the writer like from the writers and the studios to even give in to any demand like and that's that's assuming all the stories were correct where it was a money issue where Nev thought she was being disrespected with the offer and they had to like rewrite some of the movie without her character in it. But now it seems like the appetite for scream movies have transcended like the legacy characters, right? Because I, I, I don't think Gail being in it like brought people out, right? I, I don't think that yeah. had anything to do with it. I think it's just more the strength of the franchise itself and the fact that Sydney, yes, yeah, she get her character gets a, a mention, but, you know, there was nothing really beyond that, yet the movie was highly successful on its opening weekend, so you've got to think like now the leverage is back on the studio side, probably as far as negotiations go. So what do you guys apparently, think about
3: that? Apparently Mike forgot the entire conversation that we had about this 14 months ago when we reviewed Scream 5. I predicted this. I predicted that Scream 6 would be the highest grossing Scream movie, and that once that would happen, legacy characters are fucked. And, and look what happened. Oh man, it's so good to be right. <laughs> Yeah, this franchise does not need legacy characters, period. This movie proved it. Two of the three legacy, major legacy characters were not here. And it turns out to be a couple of our favorite Scream movies, a couple of us here. So, yeah, I, I, I think I mean, the money speaks. Money speaks louder than any action that you can do in this world. And if this movie turns out to be the highest grossing Scream movie ever, goodbye, Gale Weathers. and i'm and i'm i'm here for it i am so here for it
0: (laughs) yeah either yeah that that doesn't bode well for her character going forward as far as either just being in the movie or surviving
3: (laughs) it honestly i think they should use her as the cold open kill in seven i mean i'm I'm assuming we're going to get a screen seven after the success of this one i say make her the cold open kill and then finally, we're away from all the legacy characters, at least the original three legacy characters, and we can move on. We can move on with the franchise. I mean, the franchise is already doing a great job of moving on as it is. And now I kind of understand why I was so down on Scream 5, because just constantly going back to Sydney and Gale when they this isn't their story. Scream 5 is not Sydney or Gale's story, period. Anyone who says that does not fucking understand the movie that they watched. This movie is about Sam and Tara. They are the catalyst for this movie, not Sydney, not Gale, and obviously not Dewey. So, hopefully the filmmakers now understand that and will, you know, kind of shed that fear of losing their legacy characters. Yeah, fuck it. Kill Gale in the opening scene of the next one. That nothing would make me happier. Nothing.
0: <laughs> Except Sydney showing back up and getting killed too. <laughs>
3: No, no, I never want to see Sydney again. I, 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 I like the concept of Sydney has separated herself from this whole situation. She's like, okay, 25 years of this shit is enough. I'm out. I'm moving with my family and I'm done with it. I think that is the best possible ending Sydney could ever fucking get. Leave it at that. Leave it alone. Just never bring Sydney back. Uh, you know, maybe a cameo, but even then, it, it just seems like it's going to be ham fisted and unnecessary. So, and I'm probably saying something, I'm probably saying the opposite of what the hardcore Scream franchise fans are saying. They, I'm sure many of them are like, oh, I wish Sydney was in this. And it's like, why? What, what for what? Just to be an extra body or just to be another nosy neighbor poking around this investigation? It just it feels pointless. And yeah, Gail. Why, why, why was Gail in this fucking movie? As I already said, to get punched in the face by a new character. That's literally it. I, I saw no point in her character here. And yes, um, I agree with Nikki. It's like, why even introduce that boyfriend character? Like, why not just have Gail alone in her apartment? Why, you know, introduce the fact that she has this big, buff new boyfriend who does nothing? <laughs> i'm not even sure if he has a line in the movie i think just the phone call i think is the only line he has oh it's for you blah 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 so yeah that was just a waste of casting a waste of time we don't even get to see his kill so it's a waste of a kill so yeah just yeah this was the, the, the entire scene was pointless and yeah, the only he, way they could have redeemed that scene was to fucking off gail weathers and they don't have the balls to do it so
0: that's upsetting the the only justification I could see for needing Sydney back at some point, not even in a seven, but just somewhere down the road, is if they ever resurrect the the Stew isn't actually dead theory, and he's doing some type of cult thing. Because then it would make sense. Like Stew going after Sydney would make sense because they're actually from the same era. But unless they're going to ever resurrect that storyline, which I'm not even yeah. sure they would, yeah. then. Then I don't see why any of these new killers really care about Sydney that much. Because we've already done, like, we've already done kind of like the hybrid, like, new characters, but oh, Sydney would be a bonus. Like, we've, we've done all that already. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see why these new killers would really even care about Sydney. And Sydney coming back would almost just be her making the decision to interject herself in a situation that she doesn't even need to be involved in, right? Because mm-hmm. that was kind of like yeah. five.
1: I, I don't care if legacy characters get killed. What where it comes down to for me is is like how it's done. Like sometimes when a legacy character is killed, it really adds a different element to the story that actually, you know, um, makes it go like has a new spin on it or like revamps the film in some way. And I just feel like if you're going to kill off legacy characters, and you know, do it in an honorable way, then I feel like, they should all be treated that way, um, and I don't. I don't feel like that was really the case in this film.
3: Agreed.
0: Yep. Uh, Don, you got any uh, opinion on that? Is Sydney coming back, or what? Uh, I don't even remember what my original question was anymore. <laughs> uh, it was about
3: legacy of characters, whether they come back or not.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I'm just about done with uh, g- keeping them around for no reason. Um, yeah, I, I mean you guys have said it best. I mean I, I I've tried interjecting, but uh, I- as soon as I actually tried to, you guys actually said what I was going to. So, it, yeah, uh, keeping them around w- is just you know reminders of the past that don't need to be there. You guys have we've moved on already. I think four start four effectively ended everything. Just you, you know completely. Move yourself away from that and just, you know, start something new. You know, what you did with Dewey was great. That was a fine first step. If you're going to bring, you know, Sydney and Gail back in seven, they've got to go. I I mean, there is nothing that they need to do. They they, they have no need to be in the film other than the opening body. And, you know, if you're going to whack them off, just, you, you know, do it together. Like have them have it be a double cold open. Like, you knock the both of them off together. That would be the only reason why I want them back. But, yeah, there's very, very little need to keep, keep them around as much as they are. It, for me, the only thing I would put forth is is that I don't want this new group to be the group that, from the original trilogy where all of them keep surviving. If they're going to do seven, I demand one of them to be gone. I, I don't want this to be a case where you're going to have three four people survive every film every time for no reason. If you're going to keep the legacy characters of this group together, I want one of them gone in
0: seven. Makes sense. Yeah, like I said, it's like I, I wouldn't 100% be opposed to Sydney returning. It just has to be for a good reason. Um, I, I don't want her just kind of like showing up to say like oh hey i decided to help again like especially now that the way um i I don't know i kind of think venom's on to something because it's it's not just the fact that she was not in the movie but the way um the way they kind of wrote it wrote her character out you know they didn't go into a long explanation it was just hey she has a family now; she wants to be far away from any of this bullshit, so you can't just turn around. I mean, I guess you could if they just don't care, but it'd be kind of silly to turn around in seven where Ghostface is still after like the new characters, and then Sydney what, just change like there would have to be something so catastrophic about. What's going on with these new characters for, for them just to like kind of ignore that that dialogue in six where she's like, she don't want no part of this. She wants to move on with her life. Oh, never here's, mind.
2: Here's the way you do this, actually. And this could be, you know, rather stupid. But Gail's wedding, she invites Sid, and you knock the both of them off together. <laughs>
3: I think men are going to avoid Gail Weathers like the plague after this. They keep dying off. <laughs> I think Gail's going to have to turn into a lesbian to be in a relationship. Like I said,
2: it could be kind of stupid, but I, I mean, that would probably be like my way of going about it. Is that it's Gail's yeah. wedding. She's about to finally move on, settle off with, you know, do like Sydney doesn't, just like settle down, move on, and, you know, bam, Ghostface takes the both of them out together at the same time.
3: Yeah, honestly, I'm. I'm I just don't want to see them again, like even to die. Um, Maybe Gail, just because she left kind of a bad taste in my mouth with this movie. But like I said, I love this end for Sydney. Leave it. Fucking leave it. Why can't a horror movie character have a happy ending? I mean, obviously, it's not going to be that happy. She's going to be traumatized for the rest of her life and always looking over her shoulder, blah, blah, blah. But to constantly be bringing these people back, I mean, did did we all already forget Texas Chainsaw Massacre twenty twenty two or twenty one whatever fucking year that was? And when they brought back Sally just to fucking die, and it was like the worst scene in the whole fucking movie. No, nah, nah. <laughs> just keep Sydney away. Sydney, wherever you are, stay. Get get a new horror franchise. You know, go go work with Mike Flanagan or something. I don't know, but yeah, you're done with screen. I beg you. I fucking beg you, please be done with Scream for fuck's sake. Done with I was with gonna
0: it. say if, if Sydney if, if Sydney is deep in the rural uh, forest and woods, she can start uh, a Wrong Turn reboot franchise. then, I guess there
3: you go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's, that's just my. Like I said, I'm the guy that doesn't give a rat's ass about legacy characters, though. So of course,
0: I'm gonna have that opinion.
3: You know, I'm I'm, I'm probably not in the majority there, and that's fine.
0: Well, I mean, they. I feel like they did. They did a a little, like the the smallest amount possible to at least justify her not being in it anymore. That way, going forward, it's because you know, like they could have because of the change. I, I said from the beginning the fact that they changed the location out of Woodsboro gave you a built-in justification for no legacy characters to be in it period because nope. hey you you know it it makes sense why everyone can't just follow them to new york so that made sense and then with the with the added dialogue of of why she wasn't there on top of just location change that kind of gives them an out to just say she's done it, you know if if that is the case and she's done hey they gave a a decent justification of why she's not going to be in it in the future. To me, the only thing that would make sense is if like the ghost face killer went to her, like if it starts happening in woodsboro again or whatever city, and that's the other thing. That's like, I don't even know if the next one would take place still in New York because if they're going to school, because I think the next one starts filming later this year. So I'm assuming not that much time is going so if they're still in school in New York, it would make sense to still be there. But hey, it doesn't have to be. But yeah, it just makes sense. Like so They're not going to be... everyone. Like, legacy characters aren't going on road trips every sequel to be like, oh, we got to show up wherever they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. That doesn't make much sense.
3: I Honestly, though, I hope the next one's in New York. I think this movie did a really, really good job of giving us that sense of New York. I, I'm from Connecticut. I've been to New York many, many times. And, you know, you don't get to see a lot of movies that really, really play into, you know, being a New Yorker and living there. Like, I, I feel like the subway scene here was awesome. The way that they actually uh, are able to put that sense of claustrophobia and, and even paranoia because there's so many people with the ghost face costume on. I, I just feel like those were great, great scenes um the bodega i mean what is more new york than a bodega and i fucking love that scene i thought that scene was really well done even though i am a little sick of the trope of people getting a gun on a, on a villain and then calling them before they shoot that happens twice in this fucking movie and it's annoying both goddamn times it's like why can't you just pull the trigger why do you got to get their attention like you want them to know who shot them before they die it doesn't matter Just fucking shoot. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, there's still obviously there's going to be horror tropes in here that, you know, piss me and many people off. We the movie is still got fucking weapon droppers. We're in in the sixth fucking scream movie and people are still weapon droppers. God damn. Gail Weathers got the upper hand on that killer with the cast iron skillet. And what's the first fucking thing she does? Drops the skillet and runs. Are you fucking kidding me? Have you not survived five of these fucking movies already? And you're still going to be a weapon dropper? Holy shit, does that take me out of the movie. Uh, It just irks the shit out of me. Especially with these legacy characters that know there's probably not one killer. Nine times out of ten, there's more than one killer. So take this one out. Disorientate the group, you know, the, the villainous group. And maybe make it a little bit easier to take out the remaining ghost faces, if you will. But nah, let's just, I mean, the black dude does it. Chad, when he hits the one guy with the camera, does he continue to hit him with a camera? No, he runs. Uh, And then, uh, what do you call it? Samantha did it with the wood block. Um, You know, the wood block with the knives in it. Uh, All the knives were taken out, obviously. She goes and she hits the killer with the wood block. And then, what's the first fucking thing she does? Drops the woodblock and tries to run away. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with people anymore? How brutal does a killer have to be before you sit there and bash their fucking brains in? Is that so fucking hard? I know, I know, I'm harping about the same shit I harp about every fifth episode, but God damn it, I am fucking sick of weapon droppers. Fuck all of you.
0: especially who especially when you realize who two of the killers in this are and you're just like uh you couldn't have taken them out come on now
3: well that's the thing that's every scream movie almost every scream movie the killers are teenagers it's just you know people of the same age group of the main cast of the movie you know it's rare that we get someone who's an actual fucking adult you know we obviously we got scream 2 uh I don't remember how old the director guy from three was, but yeah, it's like, oh man, how many of these fucking movies do we have to go through before characters realize, okay, I'm not gonna stop bashing their head in until I see brain matter that's when you <laughs> that's when you drop your weapon and run away when you see their brain spilled on the floor
0: uh well especially especially in this franchise because to to this to the just the if I can talk, I'll explain myself uh, to the credit of this franchise. They haven't gone down like the, Oh, but could they, could the new ghost face actually be supernatural? Like they've always kept it grounded that you no, know, it's usually a mastermind and an idiot sidekick. So just the fact that like these people have been through this enough to where like, you know, if you just keep bashing them in the head, they will die. It's not like a Jason situation where no matter what you do, they're going to get up. It's like, they're just people, and most of the time it's your peers, so it's, like, even just a few good whacks to where they're busted open and bleeding, like, they're going to die if you if you just oh. keep doing it. Now, I know, like, we've had, like, I think a ghost face with a bulletproof vest on before, but that's not, you know, uh, melee protecting, especially Whoa. if you take, like, to me, I would, it would be one hit, they're KO'd, I'd remove the mask, and then keep bashing them, because I want to know who it is. But I also want them dead.
3: Oh, no, I'll bash them first. And if I take the mask off and I don't recognize them, oh, well.
1: You know, <laughs> not that thing when, of <laughs> you know, when the credits were going and it at the very end and it shows Ghostface and it says Roger Jackson. I'm like, who's that? Because, you know, like when you get the killer reveal, it's like, that's not any of those people. And like he as brutal as Ghostface was with the killer reveal, they, like the, the the brutalness of it, I just it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, that doesn't really add up there.
3: I I think the brutality of the kills just kind of stems from the fact that this is a revenge plot. You know, the motivation of the killers in Part Five wasn't necessarily revenge. They were just douchebag film students. Blah blah blah. This one, there's actual revenge motivation, and especially when it's a family member, I think that could make the brutality, you know, because that's how how homicide detectives know when a crime is personal. If they just completely decimate the body, it was probably personal. If they just stabbed them once or twice and left, then it's probably not personal, so – yeah, yeah it, it, for me it' makes okay.
1: sense. well maybe yeah. the the main the main killer out of the three I guess I could see doing all the brutality in the grocery store, but the other two no i well,
3: you know I've always had a question about these you know high school and college age kids being able to be that brutal it's like. There, there was something wrong with you before, you know. Scream or stab or whatever didn't do this to you. You were already pretty fucking twisted. I mean, (laughs) going all the way back to Billions too, you know. Oh, oh, you know, my, my mommy cheated on someone and then she left town. Boo hoo. Now shut the fuck up. That's that's still not a fucking cause to murder, you know, up teen people. Mm-hmm. um so i mean i've always had a problem with the motivation of the killers in every single scream movie but the first one is probably the one i would have the least amount with um this one at least because it was so fresh it does make sense to me you know i mean this is only what i i assume about a year removed from uh scream five so it would make mm-hmm. sense that this family would you know Go to the lengths that they go to to do what they do here, and the fact that maybe they get a little overzealous with the kills. Eh, like I said, I'm gonna cut them a little slack, just knowing what their kind of uh, what their motivation was for all this.
0: Yeah, and, and for whatever it's worth, it made the movie better. This one definitely <laughs> kind of followed the what the screen two
1: revenge
0: no. thing. I, I I've heard people, and maybe Venom, because you saw it a second time, you really able to dig into it but it definitely felt like it was mirroring a lot of stuff from scream 2 like even like something i alluded to earlier about like uh the one character when when she gets in i I forgot her name but she she's the one that does the the kind of subtext commentary about oh we're in a franchise now and when a franchise is this and is this that and the other and i'm like this sounds awfully familiar. What I heard in Scream 2 too, about how sequels are bigger and no one like mm-hmm. it, it kind of mirrored it. And I, I was like, okay, I thought she was going to build more onto that, but it, it kind of just came off like a retread, um, oh, on
3: absolutely. it. Especially if you're, you know, a horror fan and you've seen these movies more than once, you, you're obviously going to remember, you know, whether it's an homage from the director, filmmaker, or it's just a flat ripoff to fill in a couple of minutes of the movie, whatever. Or maybe they just feel that like that's a sc- that's a scream trope, you know, the monologue. Um, be it the monologue at the beginning where it's someone going over the rules, or the monologue at the end from the villain about why they're doing what they do. Mm-hmm. It seems like yeah. it's a trope.
0: And that, and right, and that's why I reiterate that. Like to me, the most fun elements of this movie are what it did different and the my least favorite things are what it kind of did the same and I, I thought like the, the strength of the movie was the fact that it's not in Woodsboro all the kind of different set pieces and the stuff that I got to play with like I think I think it was Nikki, unless someone brought it up even before her but like the subway scene was cool that's something you couldn't do in Woodsboro because obviously they're, they don't have that kind of public transit, they don't have subways mm-hmm. there um, the The kind of apartments, the already claustrophobic space of those small apartments was was cool, Uh, and and just you know the bigger city, kind of like the the fact that like there's all these people dressed up as Ghostface and just other characters on subway, like it's a normal thing in a big city where people don't pay much attention to it. In the convenience store, when someone walks in in a Ghostface costume, no one really thinks of that in a big city until obviously once things start up then that's different but just someone in a costume of a serial killer like no one looks twice at that because that's just you have so many different personality types and people from walks of life in big cities that you just learn to like not judge that kind of stuff um where well, it you might stick out
3: yeah it's halloween too so i don't think in any city
0: yeah, inside. well, Instead I would say a a costume costume on, on a subway, on subway in New York, there's probably a lot more scary things going on than a ghostface costume. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I really li- like. Obviously, once the two characters got separated, you're like, okay, something's going to go down. But I still thought it was like an effective way to do the scene. Um, I I do have cause I, I do have some questions with like the main killer in this, or the the mastermind. Like some of the stuff. When he's like, uh, when they're going to go back and forth at the end, like, well, how did this? And he's like, I switched the bodies. I'm like, wait, you what? Like, okay, (laughs) how did you do that? You're telling me that the kids like your kids of all kids are dead and the whole like you had time to do that. Like, I don't really Mm -hmm. buy that. But I mean, that's a little too Scooby Doo to me.
3: Oh, very much. He kind of tipped his hat really early, too. I don't know if you guys even noticed, but I noticed it on the second watch after they came out of the apartment and the um, the detective is talking about how both of my kids are dead. He's not crying. There's no tears coming out of his face. At one point, he even wipes his eye like he's wiping a tear away. But there is no tears there. Like literally there's no moisture there whatsoever. So I thought that was kind of cool that they kind of tipped their hat there. Obviously, there's red herrings throughout the movie. You know, Danny was a big red herring early on. Um, Obviously, all the friends and roommates and everything else. But uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I I even got suspicious when he uh, when there was a scene at the police station where him and Kirby were talking. I think she was like sharing some intel that she had or something. And then she leaves and then like he's like call up Atlanta and tell me everything because uh, to me there was no there was nothing really that made her suspicious up to that point for law enforcement so I was like why is he trying to dig on her because she hasn't really done anything off, like off the level to me so the fact that he was trying to investigate and come up I was like hmm that's interesting um, but yeah I wasn't totally shocked like I, I, I'm not someone that's like oh I called it but I just wasn't that surprised when it turned out to be him
3: I called one of the killers. Oh, actually, I'm on a two-movie streak for picking one of the killers. I never pick them all because, obviously, they throw enough swerves in there that you're not going to be able to pick them all. But, yeah, I picked out Richie in the last one, and I picked out our boy in this one. Not the cop, the the son. Like, literally, the first shot he was in, I'm like, oh, there's one of the killers. And I did the exact same thing with Scream 5, only because, um, you know, the actor who played Ralph – or. Is that his name? Yeah, Kirsch in the first in, in Scream Five was like a big name, and as soon hell, I picked him out as one of the killers before I even saw the movie. When I saw him on the poster, I'm like, oh, he's one of the Ghostfaces. Yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't pick one out this time because there was no you know big names that were new to the cast here, but yeah, as soon as he showed up and smiled, I'm like, that motherfucker
0: looks like Evan Peters. He's one of the killers. <laughs> the, <laughs> the other the other thing about Scream movies specifically is whenever somebody tries to justify their absence with an alibi it doesn't matter because if there's multiple killers it doesn't mean that they necessarily are the one that killed everybody so as soon as he was like no i was in a library with hundreds of people well yeah but it could have been the other person doing that killing that everyone's talking about so that kind of made it a little suspicious too Uh, the only reason the only reason i kind of didn't uh, like didn't go with the two, I guess underlings, as much as like other people did because I just figured they're they're in it so little, and inconsequential that like, I just I just thought the whole they're not really who you thought they were was a little weak sauce because I'm like well I didn't think they were anybody because they weren't even in the movie for more than five minutes, like you could have just pulled someone off the subway randomly and been like they're the killer. And it would have had almost the same effect on me. Oh,
3: it's true. They could have done a Friday the 13th. OG, where literally the killer is someone we've never seen in the movie. And it would have made just as much sense as what we got here. So, yeah, I'm all right with that.
1: I guessed one of the killers in this one, too. I guessed the cop, but I did not see the twist with the other two coming at all.
3: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Since they don't even allude to that relationship. (laughs) whatsoever, Yeah, it's it's hard to pick that one out. Definitely. All right, so I guess we can talk about... I don't know that I really want to do a walkthrough for this one. It's a two-hour movie with a lot of stuff in here, but there are some set pieces that I kind of want to discuss. Um, Obviously, we'll go in order. We'll start with the cold open. I fucking love this cold open. I thought this was... I, I love the original cold open. I thought it was great, especially, you know, you got such a big name starring in it, and she's taken out. That's awesome, but this cold open... The fact that we actually get a swerve in the cold open, I thought was fucking brilliant. You know, I mean, obviously, um, our cold open, you know, we we see Samara Weaving playing, you know, uh, a college professor. Uh, she's at a bar waiting for her date. It's a blind date, probably a Tinder thing, who knows. But basically, she's at the bar waiting. She gets a phone call from the guy that she's supposed to be on a date with. He plays... uh That that he's lost, that he can't find the bar, that he can't find the restaurant, blah, blah, blah. She gets a call um, from him telling him this. And then he ends up luring her outside somehow, basically saying, you know, um, what's the color of the front of the building? Um, Is there an alley around that I could potentially, you know, cut through to get to the restaurant, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Samara Weaving, who is fucking gorgeous, by the way, (laughs) goddammit. is somehow lured into this alley and of course um once she steps foot into the alley the voice on the phone changes from the guy that she's been talking to to our friend roger jackson who by the way no one's really mentioned this yet i think this is roger jackson's best work as ghostface i think his voice work here is fucking stellar Uh, it's great in the original it honestly it's great in all the movies i you know he does a great job but this one really, really stuck with me, his voice work in this one. So kudos, Roger Jackson. Um, and like I said, she is um, Samara Weaving's character, lured out. She's knifed in the alley, stabbed about a dozen times, blah, 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 by a ghost face killer who does have the voice modulator. So he obviously sounds like him. But then what we get is something we've never seen before. We see the killer take his mask off in the cold open. And it turns out to be one of our surviving characters from Scream 5, one of the film nerds. I actually forgot his name. Not that I care that much. But anyway, yeah, Um, basically one of the film nerds from Scream 5 who survived basically made the decision. Both of them actually made the decision to follow Tara and Sam to New York. To quote unquote finish Richie's movie. Now, even though it was never really implied that they had anything to do with Richie in the last movie or any connection to any, you know, um, nefarious acts, they somehow just decided to become serial killers. And you can tell it's not our standard ghost face because he's very sloppy about it because this alley that they're in a it's not that dark B it's not that long like you can see both ends of it very clearly. And see, there's people walking back and forth across both ends of the alley. So it's there's a little suspension of disbelief there, especially with the scream that Samara lets out. It's a that that's a fucking epic scream that she let out, and no one heard it. Eh, again, suspension of disbelief, but yeah. So we end up following our quote-unquote ghost face back to his apartment. He changes back into his normal clothes, he goes back to his apartment. We find out that it's him and his friend, uh, you know, the, the the film school guys from uh, part five. But then he gets a phone call and the phone call is supposedly from his partner, Greg. That's right. Greg was his name. Um, but when he answers the phone, it's Roger Jackson's voice. It's the ghost face voice. And he gets pissed off, you know, saying blah, blah, blah. I, I thought we agreed not to use the voice on each other. But instantly he starts to realize that I, I don't think. I'm actually speaking to Greg. You see kind of the nerve, the nervousness on his face start to build. Um, Eventually he does. um, They end up talking about their past. And when the person on the phone correctly, you know, relays the story to our to our first killer of how they met, you know, how they knew each other, blah, blah, blah. You could see kind of the relief in his face. But then the killer wants to play warmer, colder. Of course, the warmer, colder game, if you're looking for something, the closer you get to it, you're warmer, the farther away, you're colder. I don't know why I'm explaining this, because fucking everybody knows what that game is. But um, obviously, they're playing the colder, warmer game for Greg's location. The guy on the phone is still claiming to be Greg. And of course, uh, once the guy walks by the refrigerator, he says, warmer, warmer, you're red hot, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he opens the fridge, and there is Greg in pieces in the refrigerator, decapitated, arms and legs are cut out so that he could, you know, fit in there. Pretty gnarly scene, some good gore there. And then we see the real Ghostface show up and take out this guy, and literally the the last line right before the title card I fucking love where, um, where the victim is saying, but, but I need to finish Richie's movie. Who's going to finish Richie's movie? And Ghostface just says, who gives a fuck about movies? And just cuts his throat and it goes to the title card. I thought that was some great commentary there, some cool meta commentary. But um, let's get into it. Guys, uh, someone chime in here. What did you think of this cold open? Am I off base that I think it's one of the best ones? or What do you think? Anybody jump in.
2: Mm, It doesn't rival the cultural impact of one. I mean, I still think that one's legendary for a reason. But other than that, I'm right there. Um, The twist reveal, you know, I I mean, knocking off Samara Weaving would not necessarily be that much of a shock. You've done it every single movie. You know, you get the big celebrity and knock them off. Ooh, wow, whoop-de-doo, you're so original. Yeah, next in line, please. But it's the twist reveal, the two killers, the revelation about the one taking it off in the beginning at that scene. Twi- you know, twisting it around and making it think that oh this is going to be you know we're going to know who it is the whole time is it going to be you know are they going to know who it is and yeah all of that plays off really well and I really like the way that it handled that but yeah um, probably right after the original maybe a hair above two, because I really like the movie scene um The movie theater in 2 is really cool. I like that, but yeah, I think other than, you know, 1, just being as culturally impactful as it is, I still think that one's the tops, but other than that, it's right there. Agreed.
1: I want to apologize to Roger Jackson for not knowing who he was. I'm so sorry. It just goes to show, Scream Franchise is totally not my franchise, but... Um yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to put that out there. Um totally love the iconic Ghostface voice. So, want to give a shout out to him. And sorry that I did not recognize the name when I saw it in the credits. <laughs> um yeah, I thought the opening was was different. I I really enjoyed how they they flipped it on its head. It wasn't like it starting initially with um, the actual, the ghost face to start with, which kind of leaves a an even more scary element to the film. It's like how many ghost faces are in the world, you know? <laughs> like the fact that it opens with Samara leaving, getting killed and the guy takes his mask off right away like you you never see that in the opening of any of the scream films it, it hadn't been done before and i thought that that was really cool um as the scene progresses when he's back in his apartment and then he you know he opens the fridge and you see the brutality that is in there um that had never been done before in a scream film either and it, Two, it was like two Scream killers talking to each other at the exact same time. And how it all pans out, overall for me, I I guess I would have liked to see a little more with it, a little more of connection, but also like because the Scream franchise is not one that I know a lot about, in particular, um, maybe that's why I didn't connect with it as much. So, like, after I saw it, I was like, okay, that was different, but I, I wanted more from it. And that's kind of, like, what my opening thoughts were when I first saw it today.
0: Yeah, for for me, so, I thought the the kill of Samara weaving itself was okay, not great, but everything that happened after that, when we get... The Like, the fact that Ghostface takes off the mask, so right up front we're like, whoa, like, that's, <laughs> that's not normal for this to happen. And the ensuing scene, like, back at his – I don't know if it's an apartment or, like, college dorm or whatever. And then he gets the call from, an, you know, another Ghostface killer and that whole interaction. I thought that's what really – uh got me kind of hyped because i was like "Oh, okay now we're really doing something we haven't seen before especially this early in the movie uh it's kind of like setting the table that like okay you can be you can be one of the killers and not even be you know almost being used as a pawn because that there's always kind of been the pattern where you have the mastermind and then you're using pawns but usually the even the pawn killers make it to the end for like the final reveal where, where in this case it's like oh wait so this person's good enough to actually be using people more on a short-term basis to to do things so i thought that was really cool uh, you know i'll admit though like the 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 opening where i i'd like to i like the setup like samara weaving on it looks like she was probably on like a like a, a tinder date or something because she didn't know the person was waiting but as she starts walking down like the the alley I was kind of like uh like I don't know if she's if she'd be willing to do that but other than that like the actual stabbing the killing itself was brutal as hell and uh, so yeah I mean I I liked where the scene went definitely once we got past just the killing itself I liked how they really changed it up and to me like the the fact that the the movie set the table like that got it off to a great start because that really kind of implanted the thought in my head, oh, we're going to get our oddball entry of the franchise, right? All the big franchises have that. But, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, they did it with part two. Uh, Friday, what was five? We can go on and on. But the fact that the setup felt so much different in narrative this time around, I was like, wow, hopefully that means they're going full steam ahead with like, this is going to be our oddball entry. Unfortunately, it didn't quite get as oddball and kind of off the path of the main franchise, but like I said, there were still many elements that were where I liked it. So, yeah, I would say overall, yes, it was a good cold opening.
3: Awesome. All right, next, bodega scene. Now, this is one that obviously, if you watch the trailers, you were familiar with the scene coming up. Um, I had no idea it was coming. I am a huge fan of bodegas. I love the fact that most bodegas have like a pet cat that just walks around freely in the store. So it's like an iconic thing of New York that I I just love seeing in films, even though we don't see a cat in this one. But the bodega scene is set up with uh, basically uh, Sam and Tara see a news report about the murder of Samara Weaving's character. And then the two film students, uh, the, the two film school guys. Um, let's see who is it. It is uh, Sam who asks one of her new, one of the new characters, Quinn, her roommate, um, to call her father, who just happens to be a homicide detective here in New York, to call him and see if he knows anything about this. If, you know, because instantly, as soon as she sees the report of a murder and multiple ghost face masks being found, she instantly wants to leave New York. Obviously, against Tara's witches, um, so. They end up, uh, like I said, she ends up speaking to the detective. The detective ends up finding her ID at the murder scene, obviously left there by the real killer. So the detective asks her to go to the police station. Obviously, uh, Tara uh, goes ahead with her because Tara Tara and Sam are pretty much inseparable. Even with Tara having her angsty little moments where she's kind of sick of her sister kind of being a helicopter sister, but... You know, ultimately, she does end up appreciating it and understanding why she does it. She's the older sister. It's her job. So anyway, while Sam and Tara are walking to the police station to speak to the detective, they get a phone call. It's, of course, from our favorite mass killer, or at least our favorite mass killer in this movie, (laughs) um, where, you know. You get the general spiel of, oh, you know, I'm going to kill you. No, you're I'm going to kill you, blah, 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 the back and forth, because obviously Tara's already Tara and Sam have already survived this one, so they're confident they can survive it again. And then just out of nowhere, out on the street, granted it's not the middle of the day, it's nighttime at this point, but yeah, right there in the middle of the street, one of the Ghostface killers shows up, and I think this one is the cop. This is one. This is part of the fun of the Scream movies, even if you're not a big fan of these movies, to try to figure out which of the eventually unmasked killers actually did performed which kills. I think this was the cop because of how proficient he was with that shotgun. I don't know if the other two, being as young as they are, if they would be that fucking proficient with a 12-gauge. I mean, the person who was firing that thing has fired that gun multiple times before. On top of the fact that when he killed the Bodega owner, he did it with one arm. He held out the shotgun with one arm. I don't see the two younger killers being able to do that. I don't know if anybody here has ever shot a 12-game shotgun. If you don't have great arm strength and you try to do that with one arm, you're going to break your damn arm. Like, period. It's just going to break it. Um, So this is why I'm saying I think this is the cop. But anyway, not that it matters much. Um we all see it in the trailer, Ghostface follows them into the bodega. Um you know, he ends up killing a couple of the customers that are there. Uh the store owner, the bodega owner pulls out a shotgun from behind the counter and this is the first idiot with a gun in this movie because of four, of course, rather than just get the drop on him and pull the fucking trigger, he's got to say, "Hey." Like like why? Why the fuck do you have to get the attention of the person you're about to shoot? I'll never fucking understand that. But again, it's a horror trope that I have to live with. So, of course, after calling out, hey, Ghostface turns around, sees the gun, instantly lunges out of the way. Um, The store owner shoots, misses. Um, The girls try to go out the back door, which is locked, and they ask if he's got any keys. In the process of him pulling out his keys, Ghostface reappears, disarms him, and pretty much blows his brains out with the shotgun. Cool little scene and quick little scene, too. Like, I like how they didn't drag it out. Like, it's a quickie. I mean, I would probably say three or four minutes, maybe, at the most for this scene. It's a quick one. You know, they don't linger There is a little bit of a cat and mouse in it, but, I mean, we're talking, like, maybe five to ten seconds of some cat and mouse action. But, uh, yeah, Um, what you guys think about the bodega scene? Let's go with our guest first.
1: Yeah, I really dug this scene. I thought it was super cool because this was a scene – they briefly showed this in the trailer, and this was where I was like, okay – this is the ghost face who is not messing around going into the bodega with there was five people in there, not caring and just killing whoever crosses his path. It was a very intense scene for me. I, I actually, from the looks of the trailer, I thought that it was ghost who walked into the bodega with a shotgun. But then, when you watch the movie, you find out it's actually the um, the cashier or the owner of the store who has the um, the right or the the shotgun and starts shooting at Ghostface. And he somehow he somehow messes that up, and Ghostface gets the <laughs> shotgun. It's completely flipped. And then you have Tara and Samantha um, fighting for their lives. You know, crawling on the floor. It's a very intense scene. Um, I really I thought this was one of the best scenes in the movies. Or one of the best scenes in this film. Um pretty much all the scenes with the killer I loved, but this one really stood out to me.
3: Mike or Don.
0: Uh I'll go ahead and jump in and say, yeah, this is another example of uh the this entry doing something a little different. I, I actually like the fact that Ghostface used the shotgun in the scene, but didn't necessarily keep it the whole time, because it kind of gives you a different flavor without just him, because obviously I think if he's walking around with a gun the whole time, that's going to bring a little unwanted attention, like that might cross the line of, like, yeah, I I think police might start, uh, going after you trying to open carry on the streets of new york but um <laughs> just for this scene specifically i thought it was cool just to get that little bit of uh uniqueness to uh ghost face killing
2: yeah um one of my favorite scenes in the film and it's actually i think the weakest um yeah like i said most of the set pieces in here i really really like and yeah, the just the intensity behind it, you know, the, the the brazenness to just do it out in the open, you know, not really care about what we've seen in the past. Ghostface would have usually, you know, ducked away if people went out in the open. this one goes ahead and just, you know, in a facility, takes them out, couple of the shoppers, and then targets the clerk who, you know, takes the gun off of them and shoots them and then stalks them throughout. Yeah, it was
3: really cool. I really liked it. Nice. All right. So after the bodega scene, Sam and Tara go to the police station. They're interviewed there. They answer multiple questions. This is when we are reintroduced to Kirby. Oh, Hayden Penitieri is back and she is now an FBI agent, or at least she claims to be. Um, basically saying that she has a vested interest in the Ghostface killings and that as soon as she heard that there was potentially a new killer in town, she came out and um, pretty much uh, assisted the police in any way she could. After this, Sam and Tara go home, and then we get the apartment attack, another great scene where uh, basically our core four, as they dub themselves in the movie, who are, are of course, the Meek twins. And Sam and Tara are basically celebrating—not so much celebrating, but they're, you know, they're drinking. They're, you know, they're 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 being together. They're having the the heartwarming speech of, "Oh, you're more than friends. You're family." Blah 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 blah. And at that same moment, um, the cute guy from across the alley in the same apartment building, but across the alley in a different apartment, sees Ghostface in uh, Quinn's bedroom. And instantly tries to get Sam and Tara's attention. Actually calls um, Tara on the phone. She decides not to answer because she's with her friends having a good time, blah, blah, blah. But then uh, Danny is the name of the guy, the cute guy from across the alley. Basically sends a mass text message to everyone showing a picture that he took of Ghostface in Quinn's bedroom. They all instantly, you know, they they start to hear rumbling noises in the room. At first, they think that it's her having sex because, you know, she's kind of introduced this kind of the slutty character, sex positive, as she says it. And you know, so all the friends obviously are assuming that she's just having sex. But then once they receive the picture text, they realize that she's getting attacked. They start they stand outside of her door. No one actually goes towards the door. They're basically just going to wait for the killer to come out. But what ends up happening is when the killer comes out, he basically rushes um, or he throws Quinn's dead body at them. Basically, he's taken Quinn out, stabbed her multiple times, and he basically throws the bloody body at them. Um, Let's see. I think it's Chad and Tara end up getting out of the apartment and uh, they think. That um, everyone else is behind them, but what they didn't realize is that um, what's her name, Annika, who is Mindy's new girlfriend or love interest—I I don't know if they're official, but whatever. Um, basically, she ends up getting attacked by Ghostface. She ends up getting killed. This is the first victim that lives way fucking longer than she should have. Listen to this, folks. Ghostface stabs her in the midsection, dead center in the stomach. He twists the knife about 180 degrees. Then he twists the knife back to its original position and pulls up, making the gash, you know, a good six to eight inches long. And this girl ends up surviving for like another 10 or so minutes with her heart rate pumping. That's the other thing. The adrenaline is going so fast that she's got to be losing blood at a ridiculous rate but she still is able to survive that. Um, Mindy ends up taking a, a knife to the uh, the arm, I believe. So she's, she's slightly injured as well. The three remaining, um, uh, like I said, Tara and Chad ended up getting out of the apartment. Ghostface closes the apartment door and locks it behind them. So they can't get back in. He, uh, he or she, well, no, obviously it's he for obvious reasons that we'll discuss later. Uh, The ghost face killer chases the remaining three. Um, Like I said, uh, chases them into a side bedroom where they're able to put up a dresser to block the door. Cute guy Danny from across the alley has a ladder that he extends across the alley, turning it into a little bridge. Sam is the first one to go across the bridge. Uh, No major problems. Obviously, there's some, you know, vertigo vertigo to deal with because they are up so high. It looks like they're maybe on the fourth or fifth floor, maybe, of like a 10-story apartment building. Nothing too major. Um, So Sam gets across, and then Mindy uh, then goes across the ladder, um, which leads, uh, what's her name? Annika back still in the apartment with Ghostface still smashing at the door trying to get in. As soon as uh, Annika, is it Anika? Yeah, it is Annika. As soon as Annika um, gets on the ladder and tries to traverse the ladder to go across the way, that's when Ghostface finally gets into the apartment or into the bedroom, and he starts shaking the ladder. Obviously, now this girl, like I said, she's bleeding out. She should have died five minutes ago, but again, whatever. She's having trouble holding on to the ladder. Ghostface is shaking the ladder violently. Finally, you know. Sh- um, Annika is unable to hold on the ladder, falls down to the lower level, hits her head on a dumpster, and we get a great fucking gore shot of her, basically her caved-in face, as she's lying on the ground, still bleeding from the midsection, but bleeding from multiple parts now. So Anika is now gone, so we lose two characters in this scene, Anika and Quinn, and our main characters uh, basically just leave and decide to go back to the police station. So, you know, based on some of the other set pieces, this one is kind of tame, but it does get pretty gory with uh, Annika's death. What you guys think?
0: They left the speechless.
3: I guess yeah, the
2: fucking kill was so awesome. Everybody, yeah, I was waiting on you guys. I thought somebody would. Ju- I thought somebody was going to jump in. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think the oh, the survival mode of you know keeping the the love interest alive went too far, but I, I think the brutality kind of overmatches it. Um, the you know the intensity of you know Ghostface repeatedly trying to get into the room, you know hacking the door. You see like the the marks he makes trying to you know cut the hole open enough for him to you know leverage the door to get in. Uh, you know, uh, again, it's another thing that, you know, the, the other Ghostface weren't, done, weren't you know, known for, was that, you know, if they got away, they'd try to find a separate way in, is that, you know, if you managed to barricade the door, they wouldn't just stand there and start hacking at it to open the door. They'd leave and try to find another way in. And, you know, standing there doing that kind of adds, like, an extra intensity to the whole sequence. Uh, yeah, most of the the, the setup kind of is a little problematic. I I do think that there's a a bit of, you know, the whole, you know, it takes too long for, you know, the the others to notice what's happening. But other than that, I I really like it. It's a pretty fun sequence. Like I said, I I think the brutality and the suspense kind of overcomes the, you know, the stupidity of it. Luckily, it's not as stupid as, you know, some of the sequences in five. But, yeah, I I generally had fun with it.
3: Nice. Anybody else want to chime in on this scene before we move on?
1: Yeah, I felt that Sam's boyfriend, I didn't really understand his character. I kind of feel like he was a a filler character because she obviously didn't really care about him a whole lot because... He, like, when she runs into him, when he, um you know, comes to the door and they, like, kiss him, she's like, no, somebody's going to see it. She, like, she wants to keep their relationship secret. And then when he sees that Ghostface is in their apartment, he's trying to call her to warn her, you know, to get out of there with all of them. And she goes, I'll talk to him later. And she just, like, <laughs> ignores him and, like, shuts her phone off. And I'm like, whoa. Like, does she really value him? And like, what is the point of this character? Um, Like he wasn't really in it a whole lot. The only thing I think of is that he was just that basis for that scene.
3: Um, Honestly, I think he was probably just another red herring. It's just another character for us to think is Ghostface, which I actually did think for a little while. Like I, I I actually, he was one of the first guys I picked out, but I'm glad I was wrong because I, I don't know those, Those, like, well-built, chiseled guys are almost always made to be villainous in these kinds of movies. So I I found it kind of refreshing that he was actually a good guy after all. So, yeah, good on Danny. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I really didn't even understand why she was so intent on keeping it a secret to begin with. I mean, it was like, is it really that big of a deal that you're hooking up with? Like, it seems like that's what everyone wanted for her, maybe not necessarily him, but just her in general to, like, get out there and kind of have some semblance of, like, a normal life, and that was part of it. I mean, maybe she was just still so insecure because of the events that happened in 5 that she didn't want to make it, like, a public big deal about it, but still, I'm just like... It seems like you're doing all... you're, You're going to great lengths and efforts to, like, keep this a secret when I don't understand why. And maybe... Maybe writing wise they did that on purpose because like you said, to make him a red herring, because hey, if the viewers don't know that much about him, then you kinda of have your built in suspicion like automatically without even really having to write much about the character to begin with.
3: Yeah. I mean the characters in the movie even did it, you know. Every everybody who wasn't one of the core four, they all instantly thought, Oh, you're a prime suspect, so Definitely a sense of paranoia in the film as well. Honestly, there's a sense of paranoia in every Scream film, other than the first one, maybe, but yeah. Um, Okay, so after the apartment attack, uh, there's various scenes after this. Gail's introduced, Gail's back in town. Um, Obviously, she gets punched in the face, blah, blah, blah. You know, her standard routine. But I, I guess... One of the things, one of the reasons that Gail is in this movie is because of her investigative journalist skills, journalism skills, because she is the first one to find the shrine. Okay, And the here shrine we go. is kind of... Okay, here uh-oh. we
2: go. No, here we go. This is what I said earlier about writing Gail out of the movie. This could have been Kirby's find completely, and you had no reason for Gail to be in this film. Yep.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the cop... The cop even said it. He even said, I I left the information there for Kirby to find. But then Gail, you know, had to stick her nose in there. So, yeah, yeah, (laughs) you're you're absolutely you're 100 percent right. Definitely. It's like one of the only reasons for her to be here. And honestly, it was a moot point because we already have an FBI agent here who supposedly investigates, even though she never really truly figures out too much what's going on here. Probably, I mean, I I hate to say it, one of the worst FBI agents I've ever seen portrayed on film, you know, an adorable girl, but terrible FBI agent. She figured out nothing this whole movie. It was basically all, um, you know, Sam, Tara and the cop. All right, so. Uh, the shrine, and uh, what Gail finds is that the two the, the the copycat killers from the beginning apparently had a old theater that they had rented out, and, and it's it's in a pretty sh- shoddy neighborhood. So, you know, the, they figure that it's safe there, not going to have a lot of uh, looky loos around. And when they walk into the shrine, it is literally a shrine for Ghostface. Now, obviously, in the in, in this universe, it's a shrine to stab because it's all stab gear. It's all the different, you know, movie things from stab. And but then they actually have real Ghostface costumes. They actually have all nine of the original Ghostface costumes from the real killers of the movie of, you know, of screen. We see all the different knives that were used. At one point, Kirby even recognizes the knife that stabbed her in um whatever one that she was in was that three or four see four i'm so not a fan of this franchise Four. okay four (laughs) that was the one with a culkin right yeah okay so um so yeah so i i the reveal of this shrine i you know normally this isn't something i would really like i don't know why i enjoyed it here but i really did like it In, in this first scene we don't find out the truth of who actually set up this room and why it's here so I remember thinking, you know, that seems a little flimsy that just these two guys literally just moved to New York a few months ago and had the time to set up this fucking shrine in an old theater like that. That's jigsaw. another. Yeah, jigsaw very jigsaw. Thank <laughs> you.
0: <laughs>
3: but, yeah, so, you know, we get the, the reveal of the shrine. Uh, we also see um, we, we end up seeing Tara, not Tara, Sam's psychiatrist get uh, taken out Uh, basically during one of the sessions that we watch with Sam and her psychiatrist, she actually talks about how it felt to kill Richie, you know, a year ago in Woodsboro. And she says that it felt right. And that that bothers her. You know, she has some, you know, mental repercussions because of it, because she doesn't know how to feel like she knows it's wrong to kill but she also knows that it felt right to take out Richie. And of course it was, it's always the right thing to do. You know, I mean, all the people that you potentially are saving that would have died at the hands of this killer. It's always worth it. What she did, but you know, obviously survivor guilt and other mental health issues probably are kind of, you know, factoring into how uh, Sam feels. Um, and after telling the psychiatrist that, you know, that it felt kind of right. The psychiatrist goes and calls um, Dermot Mulrooney, the, the the detective, Detective Bailey. So, you know, because by law, he has to call the police if one of his patients seems like they might be a serial killer, blah, blah, blah. So apparently no doctor patient confidentiality clauses in New York. Or maybe that's an old thing. Maybe that's like an old 80s trope that I'm still kind of living on. I don't know. But um Yeah, so the psychiatrist, and he, the psychiatrist, is one of three people to take a knife in the face in this movie. The last two movies have had a lot of facial stabs. Have you guys noticed that? Like, this one had three. Three people get stabbed in the face in this movie. That's something that they never really did with the early Scream movies, like Be That Brutal and that obvious about you know where a wound is and everything else like th- this was kind of crazy to especially the first one because it's a psychiatrist and he's actually killed through his storm door he's got like a heavy iron storm door but there's enough space in the storm door where if you break the glass you know you can get a hand through there and that's pretty much what they do they slam they grab the psychiatrist slam him into the uh, metal storm door a few times and then finally stab him right in the face basically like just to the left of his nose, just bloop, right in there. Fucking awesome. Um, and yeah, actually two of our ghost faces get knives to the face, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, I don't know. What other important scenes should I talk about before the finale? Is there anything else? that's? I was going to say about it's... the,
0: about mm-hmm. the setup room or the display room. When the, <laughs> when we first kind of got it unveiled I meet mean, my immediate thought was like, Oh my god, are they actually resurrecting the the cult uh storyline? Like maybe not with Stu being alive, but maybe they transferred that idea to like somebody else. Not even necessarily a legacy character, but you know, anyone could kinda like follow you know, the way people are obsessive about true crime, like in, yeah. in the real world. I thought maybe they were just transferring what was supposed to be Stu to somebody else because with all the you know the costumes and you would figure if a if a civilian has all those like r- props from the actual crime scenes that's like a lot of effort to like go to to mm-hmm. get to obtain all that stuff and not be on anyone's radar. Yeah,
2: um, but then that also you know? doesn't that also kind of highlight the police officer as being one of the main
0: killers because yeah yeah that that's what I was mm-hmm. gonna say yeah it, it kind of like almost boiled it down to like okay. If it, if they're not doing the cult thing, then it has to be law enforcement somehow. Now, it was a ma- I think at that point it was a matter of, like, it either has to be the cop is involved or somehow Kirby turned bad. Like, it, it, it almost yeah. seemed like it had to be one of those two. And to me, it seemed too far-fetched to be Kirby just because, like, there was absolutely zero she did suspicious in the movie to me, whereas the cop already... There was a couple things that already set off my alarms that like that seems a little odd for the cop to be doing. So out of those two, I was like, I'm going with the cop. And if it is Kirby, there better be a damn good explanation for (laughs) it, which it didn't end up being. So kudos for that.
3: Yeah, big time. I would have been upset if they would have tried to implicate Kirby in this because it's just it's too much. Just continue to bring back. Older characters from the franchise to be the new killer, you know, it's, it's an old trope that we've seen before and I don't really need to see again. So kudos there. I
1: really loved the, the whole shrine. I thought it was... Mm really honorable to to the franchise as a whole like you have Stu mocker's robe to the tv that he was killed with to all of the weapons that they used and all of the you know the killings and whatnot and to have all of the ghost face on display i thought that that was really cool and i'm actually all on board for for you know Stu to still be alive like i would love that that would be like one of the I would me be happen,
3: I would love it. <laughs> I don't know about him being alive, like that would bother me, but if they did this the, the Skeet Ulrich thing where he's, you know, a hallucination, I'd be okay with that. I Why? mean, don't introduce like a daughter or a family member because that's been done already. But I, I could I, I wouldn't mind seeing Stu um in a hallucination the way we've seen Skeet. Cause I mean, how do you explain where he's been if he's been alive for what, twenty-eight years since the first movie? Twenty-seven years? Like, how do you explain where he's been? That's,
0: the, a, that's a crazy. The only explanation I could come up with, and this is just me like spitballing off the top of my head, is because because I'm assuming you know they sure as hell didn't look like high schoolers in the first one, but let's just <laughs> let's <laughs> give the charity that they were high school characters. So maybe Wait, Rose McGowan wasn't eighteen. <laughs> <Yeah. Or> what? <laughs> um, maybe there'd be some explanation where okay, obviously Billy Loomis died. But if Stu survived as a 17-year-old, maybe they sent him to, like, a mental asylum because he was a minor. And after, like, so many years, they released him, and his juvenile records were sealed, and he's laid low. Like, obviously, (laughs) it has to be something where it makes sense that he's just out of the picture. Because I don't think you could just say, oh, he's out there living and no one knew. Like, that wouldn't make sense. But I mean, that seems like a reach only because wouldn't it be public knowledge that he survived
3: and went to a mental institution? Like it would have to be a coordinated effort. If someone took his body knowing that he wasn't quite dead yet. And and that's the thing too. We've never heard any stories of Stu's body going missing or anything like that. Like I, I feel like if they try to bring back Stu, they're going to give us such an over the top explanation that it's just going to suck. You would have to have, you,
0: you would have to have a major accomplice like somewhere in the system that like helped cover it up. It it would definitely have to be so grand. And I think that's why it kind of sucks that they weren't able to go with that storyline. Cause I think that was supposed to be three. If I, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It would have made more sense if it was that early in the franchise, because now the problem is we're talking so many years later that it would have had to been hidden and covered up where at least if it happened at three, um, less time has gone by, yeah. so there's less time to cover it up right yeah and i I think from what I think they changed it because was it because of school what was it i know the show the follow. you remember the following on Fox like they kind of nope. okay well <laughs> it was kind of a cult it was a cult murder murder mystery crime show on Fox. And from what I read, they kind of took what was supposed to be the Stu Scream 3 cult thing and made it uh, the the story for that. Because the story of the following starts out with the head bad guy already in prison, and he's kind of running things as a cult leader from prison, and then he manages to escape. Um, yeah. So that's, from what I remember, that's originally what 3 was going to be. It was Stu in that situation kind of running a cult from prison and I can't remember if it was because of, like, school shoot. Like, I don't – there was there was some reason they went away from it related to, like, events in the real world. I just can't remember exactly what it was.
3: That would have been right around Columbine because Columbine was, like, 99, wasn't it?
0: Sometime around that, yeah.
3: It was right around the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight movie. Anyway. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Woodsboro, let's
1: get, let's... a small town – I'm sorry –
3: <laughs> I think it is. What state is Woodsboro in? Do we know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's been smaller. too
2: long. It's been too long. I don't remember offhand. I, I think they mentioned it. It's like a Midwest thing, but okay. Uh, that's why.
3: That's why I have a little bit of a problem with the shrine. I love the shrine aesthetically, and the basic concept of the shrine. I'm very okay with. But my question is if is if Woodsboro is in the mid the Midwest. How did they get all of that shit to New York? That means, again, it would have to be a coordinated effort. It couldn't just be one cop doing this. It's got to be multiple. It's got to be one guy in Woodsboro who's stealing this evidence and then giving it to someone in New York or somebody from New York coming and picking it up. Whatever the, the case may be, one person couldn't have done this. This has to be a coordinated effort.
2: Um, like I said,
3: I'll <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll suspend some disbelief because this guy is a police detective. So he's going to have some pull, but I want to know who on the Woodsboro end was fucking people over, you know, cause this guy, they never, they, they never say that this guy was in Woodsboro. They say that he transferred from another city, but not Woodsboro. So, you know, well, it, 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 picking would, have again. To, it <laughs> would have to be that's on that side of the country because they
2: say Kirby's based out of Atlanta. So Oh, that makes sense. Yep. Yep.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, also with if if Woodsboro is a really small town, it would be harder to explain Stu still being alive.
3: Yep. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was saying. That it seems like that information would, would have been public if he somehow survived and went to a mental hospital or whatever. Another question I have too is that. If if Woodsboro is a small town in the Midwest, how did that – I mean, I I could see how all the crimes collectively, like Ghostface as a legend, can become a national thing. But specifically the events of Scream 5 to the point where people, random people in the street in New York know who Sam is. Because, you know, one guy calls her the psycho girl at the the party right before she tases a guy in the balls. So I guess she is kind of a psycho. And – and then of course the girl who throws the soda on her. Now I'm willing to accept that the guy, who, the girl who threw the soda on her was a friend of Quinn, and maybe Quinn had her do that because just like Nikki said, they cut out the first part of the video, the part where she had the soda thrown on her. So it would make sense that that was a friend of Quinn doing a favor for Quinn, maybe not realizing that she was, you know, being becoming a, a hand at murder, aiding and abetting a murderer. But you know, whatever. I still question just overall how the Woodsboro murders are so popular in New York. There's a serial killer in New York every fucking week. So why would a Midwestern serial killer story, you know, be that um, part of the vernacular in New York? Like how did that many people in New York know about it? You know, like the devil made me do it. Murder was probably the biggest murder to ever happen in Connecticut. But when I moved to California, people, when people found out I lived in Connecticut, none, none of them were like, oh, oh, devil made me do it, right? Blah, blah, blah. So it's like, where is this whole, you know, community that is like <laughs> sharing all this information, especially, like I said, New York, the biggest fucking city in the world. And somehow all these people have common knowledge of the Woodsboro murders. That's just well, hey, wouldn't it's
2: a not bit just wouldn't it just been like the repetition of it all? Like you've had three or four films now with these murders taking place that it would probably be like a repeat occurrence. Right. Uh, and the
3: stab movies being popular. I'm sure. Well, that's what I'm
2: saying is that that's why I was going was that you've got, you know, the there's three or four incidences in the city, in the city itself based on these events, you know, the, the, because I think three kind of takes place outside the city, you know, like that's in LA. California one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So three doesn't really count here, but you're saying you still got at least, there's at least three, maybe four. I mean, I don't remember if the college they went to and two is the same thing. I mean, you know, same state, maybe, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, you've got at least two, four and five that all take place in Woodsboro. And then, you know, you can maybe count two there as well. Plus you've still got the stab movies, so that's at least they say that there's at least eight or nine in, by that point mm-hmm. right, so yep. you you've got a you've got a pretty big you know cultural thing there with everything happening in the same place,
1: yeah, and the other thing the only thing I can think of as well Quinn is the the homicide detective's daughter right yes yeah at the at the end when everything um mm-hmm. when is is being revealed she talks about how she started um like basically some gossip on the internet and it spread and like you can see like all of the online hate that Sam got when she was scrolling through it and I could totally see it spreading to New York in that way just through social media that's the only thing I could think of I mean, I can I guess
3: I can accept that. It's just that it's a big stretch because we've never seen that in the real world. Like people in LA aren't talking about a random guy from Michigan who killed his wife and daughter, you know what I mean? Uh, and I and again, I understand multiple crimes, multiple movies, but this is I'm talking about Sam specifically. I'm not talking about anything that happened before Sam. Now, I'm willing to accept, as I've said earlier, I'm willing to accept the fact that maybe it's just Quinn making all these people do this shit. You know, Quinn was the one who obviously started the rumor. She admitted it. Um, But just, yeah, it, it just really irked me that you literally move to the biggest city in the country and you still have people calling you a psycho. Like, I just don't really see that happening in reality. You know what I mean? Maybe like a BTK, like a like a serial killer that's like nationally known. That's different. I'm talking about a local crime. Um, You know, supposedly Sam doesn't have anything to do with the first four movies. So that's why I'm just I don't know. It, it, it It felt like her reputation preceded her, but in a very unrealistic way. That's all I'm trying to say.
1: There was also Gail Weathers' books, too. Sam was not particularly happy with Gail Weathers. She's like, you called me unstable. Like, I don't know how in-depth she went into the books, but that could also been a contributing factor, perhaps.
3: Well, ultimately, Sam is unstable. I mean, <laughs> she has every reason to be unstable. Don't get me wrong. She's got every valid reason to be, but, you know. It's not really that far off the
0: truth. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: So anyway, you know, I'll accept it. It's not a big deal. It's just one of those things that I think about. I'm an old man. I've lived a long time. And when I see shit in movies that has never happened in real life, it, you know, it just kind of takes me out of it a little bit, but no big deal. Let's go ahead and get to our finale. Our finale, of course, is going to take place in the shrine. Uh, Basically, Kirby and our detective, Detective Bailey, uh, decide to use the shrine as a trap. They're going to try to lure all of the Ghostface killers to the shrine, lock them in there, and then execute them, as uh, Tara says in the film. The plan has some hitches when they get there. Um, Like, who's actually there? It's Sam, Tara, uh, Kirby, Oh, Chad is there too. Chad is also there. Millie, unfortunately, at this point has already been attacked on the subway. I skipped that scene. It's just another, you know, you know, another kill scene that turns out not to be a kill, of course, because you know the, the Scream franchise has the strongest fucking teenagers on on the planet. But whatever. <laughs> um, so, so like I said, they lure the killers out into the. Uh, Into the shrine. Just before the killers show up, Detective Bailey calls Sam and tells him that it's Kirby, that Kirby is the killer because she she was fired two months ago from the FBI. Obviously, that turned out to be a lie. But Yeah, basically ingraining into Sam and Tara that it's actually Kirby. Kirby conveniently is missing at this point, which makes it a very believable story. I think anybody would have believed it because Kirby, as soon as they got there, she locked the elevator and then just disappeared. Um, I think she probably locked the elevator because she knew that the real killers would have other ways to get into the shrine, which they did. And then we get our reveal and... We've got the most killers we've actually ever had in a Scream franchise. We have three of them here. Uh, The first one to reveal himself is Detective Bailey. He actually shows up at the shrine, um, points a gun at Kirby under the guise of, oh, you're the killer, blah, blah, blah. But then one of the Ghostface killers shows up behind the cop. Kirby tries to warn the cop that the killer is behind him detective bailey takes a couple of shots shoots kirby kirby is now lying on the ground and once the ghost face killer kind of gets up beside the cop uh basically puts his knife down and they just kind of look at each other knowingly and that's when we get the reveal that yeah this whole thing was um detective bailey's doing he is the mastermind of this entire thing it explains a lot you know how they got all this stuff you know out of woodsboro blah 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 he's got police connections so And then we get the reveal of two more Ghostface killers, and these killers are actually in the Ghostface costume. I don't think we ever actually get to see Detective Bailey in a costume. Like I said, my theory is that that was him in the bodega, especially because he had just called Sam to tell her to come down to the police station that they need to talk he could have easily intercepted them while they were on the way to the police station. And like I said, the fact that he was just so proficient with that shotgun, hard to believe that these two silly white kids who, you know, can barely kill someone successfully are, you know, are that proficient with a 12 gauge. So, Um, and then the first of the ghost face killers takes their mask off and it's Ethan. Um, And I haven't even really talked about Ethan, namely because Ethan's barely in this movie. Um, Ethan is Chad's roommate. And as it turns out, he basically doctored the um, roommate lottery so that he could specifically get Chad. Um, Obviously, this plan has been in motion for like a year now, as we will soon come to find out. So, you know, he obviously is trying to get close to them. He's able to get Chad as a roommate. They're now roommates. And then our second killer is it doesn't take the mask off right away. And you can almost see the look of disappointment on Sam's face when she goes, Oh my God, is that Millie? Cause at this point, Millie is like the only one that they, that's still alive. That's not part of the core. I mean, she is part of the core group, but she's not there. She's not there because they got separated in the subway scene where she ends up getting stabbed. blah, 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 blah. And, um, when, the, but then the killer takes off her mask and it's fucking Quinn. Quinn, the roommate, the slutty roommate who was one of the first people killed in the movie, quote unquote, killed in the movie, as it turns out, her death was faked. Um, Detective Bailey explains that, you know, when you're a homicide detective, you have a lot of power, especially being the father of the victim. So I would imagine he probably asked his fellow officers for time alone with his daughter's body. At that point, they switched out the bodies. He claims that they switched out the bodies anyway. It's not like we get a flashback scene or anything. Um, Basically, they switched the bodies. um, And and this is why I pointed to that scene earlier where when he comes out of the apartment that morning after the attack, he's fake crying. He is 100% fake crying. There's no tears. Even the emotion that he's showing on his face just looks fake. I obviously thought it was a red herring because scream is filled with red herrings. You know, at this point in the movie, there's seven or eight potential people that could be ghost face right now. So there you go, folks, we've got our reveal. It, we, it's a three man team, detective Bailey. Um, uh, Quinn and uh, Ethan played by Jack champion, who it to me looks like discount um, Evan Peters, but that's a story for another podcast. And but then there's still something to reveal. Sam still doesn't understand, like, why are you doing this? What is the connection? And then that's when Quinn says, this is personal. You killed my brother. And uh, she she obviously is confused because earlier in the movie, Quinn says that her brother died in a car accident. No, my friends, as it turns out, Quinn and Ethan and Detective Bailey are all related to, drum roll please, blah, 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 fucking Richie from Scream 5, uh, Kirsch, right? Was that his name? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, they are basically, it is a revenge plot, which, like I said, that's kind of why I said earlier, it explains the brutality a little bit more. Because this is only a year removed. Um, I forgot that it was Halloween in Scream 5, and now it's Halloween here. So, yeah, it's been a year. And uh, so, like I said, the brutality does make a little bit of sense because every time one of these ghost face killers kills someone, they're looking at them as someone who's responsible for their brother's death. So they go a little brutal with it. Um, we get chase sequences throughout um sam and tara arm themselves with some loose bricks that are on the ground in the abandoned theater um eventually of course there's a standoff there's a fight eventually uh tara ends up hitting quinn in the face with the brick knocking out some of her teeth which by the way i don't know if anybody noticed but we we clearly see teeth on the ground next to quinn but then later up in the scaffold when she smiles she has all her fucking teeth yeah just a just a silly little goof that I'll point out that I saw. But, yeah, because I would have loved to have seen Quinn with like a bunch of her teeth missing. I would have been fucking great. Just a, a a satisfying image, considering everything that we've seen in the film so far. So she's on the ground. Um, let's see. Ethan is chasing Sam. Uh, Ethan stabs Sam multiple times. Sam is eventually able to get a gun away from uh, Quinn or not Quinn Kirby Kirby like I said Kirby was shot by the detective she dropped her gun Sam at one point is able to pick up the gun and you know give chase or is being chased they eventually end up climbing to a scaffold on the upper part of the theater where there's an exit sign they think there might be an exit up there but um, as they're climbing up Tara loses her footing and she's basically hanging holding on to Quinn or excuse me to uh Sam's arm uh Sam's arm is covered in blood so obviously she's slipping losing her grip and then you know basically Tara asks Sam to let her go which kind (laughs) of we get our
0: full our full circle metaphor of letting go
3: earlier in the film you know Tara was upset with Sam because she couldn't quote unquote let her go let let her live her life and you know be her own person and then here we are like mike said we're full circle back to it and she's asking her sister again let me go you have to let me go she motions towards the knife actually billy loomis's knife that sam took off the display hands it to tara and then does exactly that lets her go Tara falls down onto Ethan. As she falls, Ethan's knife plunges into her midsection. So she is stabbed at additional time, but then she just goes ballistic on this kid. Just starts stab, 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 stab over and over and over again. Eventually she thinks she's that He's dead. And of course, apparently these people don't know they're in a horror movie because no one ever stays dead. Um, eventually um let's see Quinn corners Sam up on the scaffolding but Quinn doesn't realize that Sam has a gun Sam pulls out the gun points it right at her gives off this great little sly smile that I fucking love actually it kind of alludes to the fact that maybe Sam is starting to get comfortable with killing which you know could set up a future film I don't know but She does she does the perfect thing and just lets out one shot right into the middle of Quinn's forehead. So she is definitely down and out. And as her body falls, we see the detective right behind her. And what what I found really cool about this is rather than Sam getting scared, because um, I forgot to mention that she tries to shoot the police detective and the gun is out of bullets, of course, convenient. Um, But rather than like dropping the gun and running away to try to get away from the cop, she drops the gun and fucking charges him yelling, which I fucking love. Um, I absolutely love when, you know, horror movie characters take their fucking shit into their own hands and stop being a whiny little bitch and actually do something. So, yeah, she ends up attacking the detective. She's unarmed at this point, unfortunately. Um, And they end up like charging at each other. They hit each other. They both fall over the scaffolding. The detective lands on a display, a glass and wood display as part of the shrine. Um, Sam lands just on the floor. She doesn't hit anything. So when the detective, the detective's out for a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, I'm not sure. But when he comes to Sam and uh, Tara are both gone. He doesn't know where they are. But he knows that they're still there. And then eventually he gets a phone call on his cell phone. He looks at his cell phone. And of course, it's Sam, Samantha Carpenter calling him. And when he answers the phone, of course, she's using the voice modulator. And she now sounds like Ghostface talking to him about. um, I forgot to tell you what the actual ploy was. The, The plan was to frame Sam for all of the murders, basically have. Kill off both Sam and Tara, but having Sam wearing Billy Loomis's mask so that it would look like she just snapped and became the new ghost face, blah, blah, blah. Of course, Sam refused to put the mask on, you know, even though she was basically ordered to do it by the police officer. and which ensues this final chase where, Um, They're talking on the phone. He's walking around the the theater with his gun out, you know, pointed out. He ends up shooting uh, some of the mannequins that are set up that have all the robes and had all the masks on them. They don't now, of course.
0: Which is kind of silly. I I thought it was a silly action by him. Like, I I, I could see one of the other killers doing that because they're dumb teenagers, but the way he kind of acted like you still are like a professional cop and you're just randomly shooting mannequin heads like come on now
3: (laughs) exactly (laughs) and eventually um sam does come out of the woodwork wearing the ghost face costume mask and all and wielding billy loomis's knife and then she goes fucking ballistic on the cop and stabs him god it felt like a couple of dozen times just stabs and quick stabs these are like prison stabs like when people get shanked like 10 times in three seconds that's what this was just stab 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 finally he's down for the count the detective is down for the count um sam pulls off her mask her ghost face mask to reveal that it's her tara shows up at that exact moment and Sam basically decides um, she's not going to kill the detective. Um, you, you know, she she basically says, my father may have been a murderer, but I am not. And at that moment, though, Tara and Sam exchange a glance. Like, you could see Tara kind of tilt her head, like, really? You're going to let him live? And then, you know, Tara or uh, Sam turns around to the detective and says, I'm not a murderer, but you did fuck with my family, which kind of alludes to a line from earlier in the film when Detective Bailey said the same thing, you fuck with my family, you die. So Sam, of course, has her awesome pre-kill line where she says, yeah, I wasn't going to kill you, but you did fuck with my family, and then stabs him right in the fucking eye. Um, I also forgot to mention that um, during the struggle with Ethan – Tamara stabs him in the mouth, actually fucking jams one of the knives into his mouth and twists it, which of course, again, would make you think that he's dead. But after the detective is dead and Sam and Tara think that everything is done out, pops Ethan somehow still alive after being stabbed multiple times, taking a knife to the throat and having the knife get twisted while in his throat. Somehow he's still alive He jumps out and, you know, uh, tries to attack Sam and Tara. But at that exact moment, the actual television that killed Stu Mocker in Scream 1 comes flying from the distance, hits him on the head, and he is on the ground now, supposedly dead. And then we see Kirby still alive. She's the one who picked up the TV and says something about – I think her line was something along the lines of, I saw that done in a scary movie once, and – that's pretty much your movie, folks. That is Scream twenty twenty three. Uh, I think there was a post credit scene, wasn't there? But it was kind of meaningless, if I remember correctly.
0: There was, and I don't even remember. That's how insignificant.
3: Yeah, it was, it was a meaningless, um, like it didn't have any like story to it. It was just like a quick shot, maybe of Ghostface or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's a pretty uneventful post credit scene, apparently. But yeah. You mean, there you go,
1: folks. You, oh, after the credits, we mm-hmm. done. Yeah, it was basically it was Mindy's character, and she just talked about how um, that not every movie needed a post-credit scene. That's
3: what Oh, she said. right, that's right. She it was literally just that line. Not every movie needs a post-credit scene. Yep, I totally mm-hmm. forgot that. That actually made everybody in the theater laugh pretty hard. That was probably the biggest laugh we got in the theater. So. In a pretty packed theater, too. Like I said, both times I saw it this weekend, it was pretty packed. To be expected, obviously. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Two and a half hours, and we're still talking about Scream 6. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think that's going to wrap up any walkthrough stuff, for the most part, but do we have any closing thoughts of anything we didn't get to from anybody?
3: Honestly, I think I went over Everything that I wanted to, the brutality of the film, the the motivation of the killers. Um, I'm still not happy with the killer reveals. I've never really, other than the first scream, I've never been happy with a killer reveal. Um, Yeah, they always seem like they're a little far-fetched or overreaching. But, you know, for whatever it's worth, at least I could enjoy this one from a guilty pleasure standpoint. You know, getting to see these three, get their comeuppance um, in the shrine that they built. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, overall, kudos, man. Bravo. Great job to the filmmakers. Um, just, this is the surprise of 2023 for me. So, yeah.
1: I will say with the post-credit little snippet that they did, um, a part of it didn't really sit well with me just because I feel that it was kind of a slap in the face to screen fans who do sit through the credits for, for something in that way. So just on behalf of them, I want to say I, I feel that, but also at the same time, I do understand why it was done as well. So I can see both sides.
3: Yeah, I didn't get that, but I'm a credits watcher. I watch the credits regardless. I I've all my life. I've been like that my whole life. I've always been interested in watching the credits. It's got nothing to do with post credit scenes. Um, so maybe that didn't hit, uh, at least I didn't pick up on that as much as maybe, you know, a bigger fan. I mean, you you admit that Scream is not necessarily your franchise, but I would still say just by proximity and the DNA that you share, you're probably going to be more versed on the franchise than I am.
0: So,
1: (laughs) well, I actually saw, like, a, a post on social media, someone that said, stick around for the credits. And I am typically not somebody who does stick around for the credits. So, if I'm going to stick around, like, I want to see something cool. So, when I saw that, I was like, eh.
3: Okay. No, that's valid.
1: <laughs>
3: 100%
0: valid. <laughs> Alright, then. Yeah. I, I guess that's going to wrap up our thoughts on Scream 6 and the episode uh yeah it's one of our longest episodes in a while but the bigger blockbusters you know tend to be like that so before we get out of here though let's uh, let's go around and uh hear from everyone about where else they can be heard and what the newest is uh for them so venom i'll start with you which you usually cover everything of mine too so go ahead
3: All right. So the main show, No More Room in Hell, has just released its monumental 50th episode, episode 50, where the three hosts basically look at their one of their favorite horror movies ever. I know with me and Derek, we picked our actual favorite movies ever. Um, Mike, unfortunately, his favorite movie we already covered on the show. So we picked another favorite. But if you want to find out what those three movies are, you'll have to check out the episode. That is episode 50 currently available. Uh, As Mike mentioned earlier, we're probably going to have two episodes of Fresh Cuts out this week um, with last week's episode, A Spoonful of Sugar, probably dropping the same day as this one. So if you're listening to this one first and you're a loyal listener, don't forget another episode probably dropped on the same day. So go check that out. No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Episode 15 is currently available that is our latest episode where Don, Derek, and myself looked at 1957's The Monster That Challenged the World. Uh, that episode dropped, I believe, last week sometime, so check that out. Um, and I can I can actually announce that on the next episode, we're gonna have both a guest and we're gonna be looking at a legendary film. We are gonna be talking with Brandon Young from The Anatomy of Fear podcast and he picked his favorite creature feature for us to talk about and that is tremors so yeah we got a a big name podcaster and a big name creature feature on episode 16 that won't hit sometime until april so look out for that and uh, crystal lake gift shop episode three is still the latest episode uh we're we're in the planning process right now for episode four so hopefully that'll be out sooner than later and that's about it for me, folks.
0: All right, Donna, what do you got?
2: Yeah, um, due to the proximity of recording dates, there's not much new um, for me. Uh, horror Returns podcast, uh, the latest roundtable uh, March Madness episode I was on looking at best elevated horror movie. Um, Creature Comforts episode 16 should be recording soon uh the only other new one that i have is uh the latest episode of uh the horror countdown where i had a uh guest on to look at asian horror films that had western remakes so it was a little different uh than most in that the um eligible pool that we had uh to talk talk from was only films that had a western remake so uh, we you know we're basically talking about like the the early 2000 you know J horror remake crave of you know Ring Juan, mm-hmm. Shutter or One Miss Call Pulse and uh, stuff like that so that was basically uh, the, the that was the uh, the eligibility pool that we had so it was uh, pretty fun and uh, you know we had some uh, pretty interesting choices there so it was a, a pretty fun time but. Yeah, uh, the only other thing for me is uh, my weekly Women in Horror Month interviews and reviews on my page, which are published on, you know, my Facebook site. So um, other than that, uh, that's pretty much it for
3: me. So for the Horror Countdown episode that you just released, is the top ten based on the quality of the original, the remake, or both? Like
2: uh, it, it was... Uh, the eligibility pool was just the films that we had that had remakes. You can use any criteria you had. I had mine where I looked at how good the original was. So my list, yeah, my list was how good the remake, uh, how good the original was. It was just I'm only picking from a pool that had remakes, uh, remakes made in the West. The host. Yeah. She picked how crappy the Western remake was. Ha. (laughs)
3: <laughs> so I was going to say like one missed call would probably be based on the original, not the, re- not the awful remake Right. <laughs> as far as its position in the top 10. I mean,
2: yeah, that was the way I did it. Mine yeah. was how good the film was. It was just, we're picking from the pool of films that right. had a remake to it. And then we also discussed our thoughts on the remake, but yeah, the co-host, she picked how crappy the remake was.
3: <laughs> That's funny. <sighs>
0: all right nikki uh hopefully everyone knows the show you're on but uh just uh let people know that don't
1: yeah i am part of the slumber party massacre podcast and we will be recording an episode here in about two weeks where we're going to cover the poison ivy series so that should be a good time (laughs) (laughs)
2: Kind of sexy for you girls. Isn't that kind of a little above your wheelhouse?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, our last show was uh, what we we did sexiest horror films. We each picked what we thought was sexy and horror.
3: Nice. Mm -hmm. So lots of Serbian film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have actually never seen that.
3: (laughs) Oh, good. Don't, don't. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I personally love, I'm I'm, unapologetically, I love a Serbian film. And it's not just because of its debauchery. It's actually a pretty well-made film that's got a lot of social commentary in it. I totally understand, though, that some people can't get through it because of some of the awful scenes. And I say the same thing to everyone who says they've never seen it. Don't. I don't think your life is going to be any more fulfilled having seen a Serbian film. Now, somebody like me, yes, that like somebody like me or Don it <laughs> probably speaks more to us, but yeah.
2: I, <laughs> yeah, I I'm, never... I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> laughing at the fact of uh, Nikki having to watch what goes on there. <laughs> no,
3: no, Nikki, never ever watch that movie, please.
1: No, but I'm... yeah,
2: no, I I know what you're talking about, yeah.
1: <laughs> I do have boundaries and I have watched reviews of a serbian film and one there was one review in particular where somebody talked about how artistic it was and with some of the trailers i've seen i can totally see that i'm just wondering if it if it would be something that i would never be able to get out of my mind if i watched it
3: <laughs> oh definitely i mean there are two scenes there are two scenes specifically that will haunt you for weeks so uh, yeah, yeah so. it depends
2: um how do you feel about necrophilia like legitimate nec- <laughs> like legitimate necrophilia
1: I have not seen a lot of films that portray that. I know there was a little bit of that in the movie um Neon Demon, but it was very uh minimal,
2: yeah, this is like yeah, this is like legitimate full on necrophilia, oh goodness. <laughs>
1: And that's
2: one of the things. Well, uh, yeah, that's one of the nicest things. That's
0: why I went there. Well, the, the other thing with a Serbian film is, for American audiences, it's going to be really hard to pick up on any of the political subtext because it's very specific to the experience of like the director writer uh, in their home country. So if you were to watch it, I would immediately like after go start like googling like reviews and um analyst of the movie because once you read all that or watch like breakdowns it makes sense it's just hard to pick up on that as someone that's like you know we're so divorced from the reality of people in other countries that it'd be very hard on like a first watch to pick up on any of that Yeah. yeah I
3: always tell people the same thing. Um, Check out Mr. Watson's review of a Serbian film. I think it's one of the most thoughtful and provocative reviews of that film ever. I I already loved the film before I heard Mr. Watson's review, but after it, it, it like shot up into like my top, like 50 favorites of all time. There's just so much subtext that if you can't get past the debauchery, you're going to miss it. And like I said, I would never give anyone any shit for not finishing it or for calling a serbian film trash because you know to to, to the uneducated eye it it, it kind of is trash but you know it, it still has a lot of artistic merit to it that i wish people would give it more of a chance but it, like i said I, I still don't recommend it to normal people so yeah
1: yeah
0: all right then yeah um so venom pretty much mentioned everything that I would fall under uh, as far as new stuff out. Um, the only other thing I have as far as shows go is it looks like as of now, we are on schedule for episode 51. It sounds kind of weird because 50 just came out. And in the recent couple of episodes, there's been like long gaps in between recording mm-hmm. new episodes of the main show. But unless anything comes up, like in the next handful of days, we will be recording episode 51. And wouldn't you know it, Our guest for that one happens to be our guest for this episode of Fresh Cuts. So, Nikki, we roped you into the double duty of our of our shows. And we're sorry. uh,
3: (laughs) Well, don't be sorry yet. You still got Crystal Lake Gift Shop to be on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So looking forward to that recording in a handful Mm. of days. Um, And then the next episode of Fresh Cuts, I don't know if there's a theatrical release this week or not. I don't uh, think so. I, had, I think
3: next week we got one.
2: Yeah, I think this is the week. I th- We said that there was a week off in uh, March, and I think
3: that's this week. Okay. Yeah,
0: that sense, right. Well, that's not a bad thing, then, because then, you know, it'll make it easier to, have, yeah, to put, have more efforts into the main show for the week and then worry about something on VOD right after.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, we've got, we've got right. a lot in April. Got Evil Dead Rise, Renfield. April's pretty packed. That's all theatrical,
0: obviously. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, before we get out, final thing, Nikki. Thanks a lot for joining the show. This I'm glad you uh, endured it because yeah, two and a half hours is way over what we usually do for fresh cuts, but you know, a big release like this, there was a lot to talk about. So, uh, thanks a lot for joining us.
1: Thank you again. Yeah. Thank
0: you all. This is so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got, you got kind of a, well, obviously because you ended up liking it, but the luck of the draw that there was actually a movie we're talking about because some people aren't so lucky when they're guests <laughs> on here. <in> and <laughs> the movie they're on, is just like, well, not only is it bad, but it's like, what are we even going to talk about for this one? But at least scream, they tend to be, you know, conversation worthy, even for people that don't like them. So Cool.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, with that said, we're going to get out of here. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Fresh Cuts. We'll be back in a week's time uh, for our next one. We'll pick something of all our choices on VOD, which are very plentiful at the moment. So, let's say bye, listeners.
2: Later. Bye.
0: Adios. Stay out of the bodegas. (laughs) Peace.